I told you I wouldn't forget you, Charlene. I want to help you. Charlie, it's from you. It's old weirdo again. Tell the old weirdo I don't have time to play games. Listen, she doesn't have time to play phone games right now, huh, weirdo? I gotta get back before dark. You know something? What? You are a goddamn rude son of a bitch. And you're a pain in the ass, lady! Who is this? I want to help you. I told you before, you filthy mouth. Displaying your body is filth. You dirty the mind of others. Do you know what they should do with little girls like you? Sandy had an accident. She's dead. Well, I feel just as sorry as you do. But there's a lot of work to be done, and it isn't going to get finished feeling sorry for her. Tracy Savage, Debbie from Friday the 13th, Part 3. For the best podcast ever on old slasher movies, be sure you find Hysteria Continues. You will be glad you did. And hey, stay out of Crystal Lake, okay? Yeah, and welcome back to the Hysteria Continues. Is that a new one, the Debbie Savage one? No, we've had it for a while, I think. Oh, Tracy Savage. Oh, have we? Okay. Yeah. Well, we must have used it before, unless we got it and we never used it, but... uh, I think it's uh, one I haven't used for a little while, but uh, but yes, welcome back to the Hysteria Continues, episode 153. I'm surrounded by cats, so um, I've just uh, sort of let the other guys know that I'm in a friend's house recording, and we we've, we've I've got cats locked with me in the room at the moment, so God knows what's going to happen. Justin, yes, this is episode 154. What did I say? Oh, is it? Oh, right. Okay, 154. Yes, you said 153. Okay, I just looked that up and I thought I'd written the right thing. Oh, well. You've ruined I've ruined it. Anyway, ruined thank, Christmas. thanks for listening. So the history continues. Goodbye. Um, no, but we are joined, if you can hear the the, uh, the little gentle laugh in the background, by one of our favourite people, Amanda Reyes, That's is Nathan. joining us. I thought, I thought <laughs> that was Nathan's girly, girly laugh. <laughs> so, Amanda. It's similar. It's similar, yes. Amanda, thank you for joining us. How are you doing? It's lovely to have you back. I'm so happy to be here. I was going to do my intro as the fisherman you have in the clip there, but I don't think I can maintain that for the whole show. Hey, guys! How are you? I love that guy so much. He's really funny, isn't he? He's sort of really shouty. So, yeah, it's it's always a pleasure to have Amanda on and always probably one of our most requested um, uh, sort of uh, guest hosts as well. So so brilliant to have you with us. Um, uh, And uh, Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you doing, Justin? I'm not doing too badly, although it's a little bit weird, sort of um, hunched over someone else's kitchen table. I'm talking to people being hunched over in the morning. How are you doing, Eric? I am sexy. I am cool. If you don't think I'm sexy, then you're a fool. <laughs> well, I, I like your rap. Well, thank you. And Joseph, how are you doing? I'm good. My pants don't fit me anymore. And why would that be? Is that because you've... Or is that well, just... I've been losing been losing a lot of weight, so I've like went down like two pants sizes, but I haven't bought any new pants, so I'm having to use a belt. Well, so they, they... they're very baggy right now. Well, behind the scenes, the hysteria continues as glamorous as ever. Yeah. Um, so we are talking about Joseph's pants. Joseph's pants, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, your pants. <laughs> Well, yes. Well, we're going back to the six six seventies with the centerfold girls uh, today. Um, it's a pick of one of the Alishan brothers, I think, isn't it? Who was? Can we remember who who picked this? It would be Michael Alishan. Michael. Well, thank you, Michael. Um, 
Yes, so it'd be interesting to talk about that, um, and especially with Amanda on board, because I know you've got, uh, Amanda, you've got a soft spot for 70s movies, haven't you? I do. I'll have some things to say about this one, though. Okay, okay. Well, it'll be interesting. <laughs> be interesting to talk about this one. But before we do, in time honoured tradition, shall we have a, a bit of a chat about what we've been watching recently? So, as our guest co host, Amanda, what about you? What's What's been tickling your fancy? Well, um, so we had Christmas break recently, and I ended up just watching a lot of Christmas horror movies. And I made a list of what I've seen in the last couple of weeks. And you know what? None of it is new. So I'm just going to briefly kind of go over the high points of what's been happening in Austin. Because, you know, we have the uh, Alamo here. And every Tuesday, they do something called Terror Tuesday. And um, they've been showing some really good movies. So I saw Deep Red in 35mm, which was amazing amazing we also saw the um restored suspiria at the austin film society um which i don't know if you guys have had a chance to see that in the theater but it looks really really great and um last week we saw uh an american wolf in london which is my second time seeing it on the big screen it's uh, one of my all-time favorite movies um and i always forget well there's a couple of things i forget when i watch it and one is that massive car accident they have there in piccadilly circus at the end of the film where like everybody gets killed and like you know at the at the Alamo they're very specific about no talking no texting but like I always forget that accident is there and I actually yelled out oh fuck like right as it cut to a quiet scene <laughs> so I am the problem at the Alamo <laughs> um and one movie I did see that was new to me and Nate recommended it was unhinged uh which uh I really liked um I listened to your guys episode I hold off on the episodes you've done where I haven't seen the film. So there's still a couple of episodes there I haven't gotten to yet. But um, I finally sat down with Unhinged. I think you guys were sort of mixed on it. But I thought it was really good. I don't know how well you guys remember it when you watched it. But, um, you know, it's about those three girls that kind of end up at that house with this woman and uh, man, right? I don't think she has a son. Is there an older woman and her daughter and a guy like working around the house and and all of a sudden they start getting killed and stuff and the acting is like really marginal <laughs> but the girls are really beautiful and interesting and i really like the lead actress and the ending is very weird um and it surprised me and it it predates the film that you guys referenced it to uh that has a similar ending it was really really good um and then uh the last two things i saw are non-horror and i'm only bringing them up one has a horror connection and i'll talk about that first and the second one is just i want to ask justin about it so um i've been re-watching melrose place so um nate and i and our friend dan do a podcast called the made for tv mayhem show and we do tv movies and we did a male stripper episode and i was editing it the other day and one of the movies we covered is called lady killers with uh, thomas calabro from melrose place and Every time, okay, first of all, I think he's so fucking hot. So every time someone mentioned his name on the episode, oh, um, I had language, to, Amanda. I know, sorry, sorry, but that's how I feel, you know, I'm driven to say it. So um, every time someone mentioned Thomas Calabro's name on the podcast, I had to Google him. And so it took me forever to edit the podcast because I'm like, oh my God, I have to look at him. So I decided to start watching Marvel's Place again. And I'm only bringing it up because in the second episode, Jensen Daggett makes a, an appearance. And I know that Eric really follows her career closely. 
because <laughs> she was so amazing in Friday the 13th Part 8. But she's so good in the second episode. She plays this girl. Um, so, you know, Melrose Place is about all these people living in the same apartment complex. If somebody has passed the 90s here and listening and didn't remember the show. And it w- was a nighttime soap opera, but the first season was just a straight drama. And Billy is one of these characters. And he's like an up-and-coming writer. And to make ends meet, he becomes a cab driver. And he picks up this girl and it turns out they have a lot in common. It's Jensen Daggett. And then she basically, like, suction cups herself to him for, like, two days. And she just attaches herself to every facet of his life. And he ends up, like, dragging her around the complex for, like, the whole episode. And she's so good as, like, this obsessive girlfriend. But it's not, like, freaky obsessive. It's just, like, kind of funny obsessive. And she's really, really good. And I kind of want to make a case for Jensen Daggett as a good actress um, because she did a lot of 90s TV. And I don't know if anybody remembers the short-lived TV series Medicine Ball that she starred in. She was really good in that. And she played Johnny Depp's love interest in uh, 21 Jump Street that I really like as well. And I I just thought maybe Eric might want to revisit her career. Um, (laughs) Well, I've I've actually never seen Melrose Place, believe it or not, Um, which is a spinoff of Beverly Hills 90210, isn't it? Correct. Yes. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, yeah, because I know in the, in the sort of the first few episodes, like David Silver and um, Donna Martin are, are in them. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I have to say, so there's a questionable relationship between Kelly's character and Jake, because Jake, it's like that dirty dancing dynamic where she's like 16 and he's 30. And they, they embark on this kind of affair that doesn't go too far. But I hadn't seen, so the first season is just a straight drama and everybody hates the first season, but I'm getting really nostalgic for the 90s for some reason. So re-watching it, I'm actually like super emotionally involved in everything that's happening. And Kelly's like, it reminds me so much of when I was 17 and thought about embarking on questionable affairs with older men. Like it really captures that sort of flavor of like, why you do it and why you stick through it and why the guy is always going to be a jerk at the end. And um, they did a really good job with it. But, like, if you can get through the first season um, and get to when uh, Heather Lockler shows up, which is the 18th episode, it goes off the rails and it never gets back on them. And it's, like, the most amazing show ever. It's so good. And Nate will back me up on that. I know he will. Oh, Mm -hmm. yes. I mean, I am a huge Kimberly fan. Oh, God. I'm a Sydney girl. I'm a Sydney girl. I like Sydney a lot, too. There's really not that many characters that I dislike on that show. I mean, even Amanda, you know. Oh, hello. Hello, Nathan. Hello. Are you there? We've hmm. lost. We've lost Nathan. Okay. Yes. This is. Uh... But isn't isn't uh, Daphne Zuniga in in Melrose Place as well? She is. She shows up a little later. She's Joe, right. the motorcycle riding, you know, babe. And I don't want to get too far off the horror thing, but it's, yeah, there are horror connections on there. But Jensen Daggett puts in a really like energetic performance as compared to Rennie. Um, there and uh, in Friday 13th Part 8, so I just thought it was worth mentioning because I was surprised to see her. I don't remember the early episodes very well, and um, it's kind of cool. Also, Amy Locaine's in it, who was in John Waters' Crybaby. It's got a really interesting cast. Um, and then the oh. last thing I Amy Locaine. Oh, yes, I, I love her. <laughs> she's mm. lovely, yeah, she's a really beautiful yes. girl. I will say, though, that she has this really horrible Southern accent in the first few episodes. She's going to drop it, but it's like it's really forced. It's really forced. But she's great on the show. Um, And um, the last thing I saw was the new Star Wars. And the only reason why I'm bringing it up is because it's got a really interesting pro-animal message in it. And I think Justin said he was going to see the film, and I was just curious what he thought about it. I haven't had a chance to see it yet. Um, I was going to go with some friends uh, who's uh, she's been ill, so... um... 
so I haven't had a chance to see it yet. But uh, yeah, I've heard a lot about that actually, and so yeah, I'm interested. I'm, I, I should see it in the next week or so. But uh, uh, yeah, I've heard uh, I've heard some interesting things about it. I say I'm like Nathan, who has one but as one by one he's disappeared. It's like one of those kind of supernatural <laughs> sort of. Um, uh, sort of Facebook social media slashes that um, we're all going to disappear one by one. But uh, I'm a bit with like we talked about this like with Nathan. I think none of us are massive sci-fi fans, but uh, sure. but um, but yeah, I've, I've heard mixed things about the the film because people say I'm a sci-fi fan. Are you? Yeah, but I don't see Star Wars as sci-fi. It's it's more fantasy, and I don't like Star Wars. And even if this new one featured Bob Hoskins dancing naked on a table, I still probably wouldn't go see it. Really, there is a whole of that. You would. <laughs> Eric, what about what about the room the room version I sent you of Star Wars? Oh, that was awesome. That was no, yeah. Whoever whoever that. whoever did that editing was they should yeah. really be hired by someone because yeah, that they, was a really good job. Yeah, so they just pa- they've pasted our CGI'd in um, Tommy Wiseau into various scenes from Star Wars over the years. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> it's very cleverly done. <laughs> I I will say the new Star Wars. I'm not a huge. Uh, I'm a casual Star Wars fan. I've seen the the original three and then the two that have just come out, and I enjoy them. But like after the movie's over, I'm usually like, what just happened? I, they don't stick with me, and. Uh, well, I guess the first three probably did, but I saw them when they came out originally. So I was like six. So I don't remember them. But um, this one was really interesting. And I know it veered off the map, so it caused a lot of controversy with like the diehard fans. But, um, yeah, it was really entertaining. Um, I would recommend it. I mean, I was surprised how much I liked it. But the, but the animal stuff, it, it happens sporadically throughout the film. It's not just one particular scene. And, um, and I'm not the only one who has this idea that it's kind of pro-vegetarian and so i was just curious what the general thoughts were on that but uh, yeah it creates a lot of empathy for animals which i loved amanda i yes oh, oh there she's there she is. There he is. <laughs> did you just say <laughs> she sorry yeah. Yeah. how dare you <laughs> um is it four hours long it is four hours long well, that's my problem. That's one problem I have with these oh, Star it's Wars not movies. Four hours long. It's, when he said four hours long, he thought that was a sexual innuendo about something, and I got lost. <laughs> oh no! I never make. I don't make the sexual innuendos on purpose. They just somehow <laughs> find me anyway. I can. It's, it I is can two toler- and a half hours. I can tolerate um, Empire Strikes Back. I, I don't think I don't have the desire to watch it ever again, but I can tolerate it. I just I could never really get into those uh, Star Wars films. I, if I'm honest, I, I'm more of a Star Trek fan, and I'm not really even a Star Trek fan. I'm not even really even a Star Trek fan, but I prefer it over Star Wars. Me too. I would agree. Yeah, I'm not a fan of any of it, but I will say that um, that new Seth MacFarlane show that's like kind of a comedy version of Star Trek. I've been watching it. That's probably the closest I'll get to sci-fi. The Orville. The Orville. Orville. Is it animated? No, no, it's live action. It's live action, but it's, uh, it's really funny. I mean, I think it's a really funny show. I mean, it took me a couple episodes to really get into it. Um, The first episode, I didn't think it was that great, but as the show went along, it just keeps getting better and better. So, Cool. Okay. Well, um, let's come back from Uranus and uh, let's um, thank you, Amanda. Is there anything else you'd um, you'd like to talk about you've seen recently? Oh, yeah. I also saw that Andrew Prine movie. This is going to be all about Andrew Prine tonight because I'm so in love with him. But um, he did a movie called The Evil. Have you guys ever seen that with Richard Crenna? Where um, about the rehab facility that they're trying to build in this old house and something comes and sort of takes over the house and starts stalking the characters one by one. And it and there's something in the basement. Basically, I don't want to give too much yes. away if you haven't seen it because the ending you is so. The, 
<laughs> used to have the big box VHS. Oh, did you? I like, yeah, I like that film a lot, actually. I, I love it. And everybody gets so sort of alienated by the ending of it. And I can't figure out why, because I love, I love the sort of reveal of, of who's in the basement. And, mm-hmm. um, it's also like ridiculously like crazy violent. It's crazy violent, and it's I, I don't know if it's really a slasher, really like a proto slasher, but it's got it's like a supernatural proto slasher maybe because they are stalking them one by one, and some of them die just through sheer idiocy, but you know, but some of them also like uh, it's just brutal to the characters, and also Richard Crenn is amazing, and so and Andrew Prine wears these amazing pants, and we're gonna talk about Andrew Prine's pants too, by the way. Um, but uh, like they're like super high waisted, kind of like with the five buttons down the crotch area, and it's like really hugging the stuff, and it's I can't take my eyes off it, guys. <laughs> well, we wouldn't expect anything less, Amanda. So. <laughs> I, yeah, I've seen that. I saw the Evil years ago, and I quite. I think the ending is so kind of out of left field, but um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, kind of. I do remember who or what the um, the reveal is, and I think it's uh, yeah an interesting choice. Put it that way. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So excellent. Well, thank you, Amanda. Um, let's see who would like to go next. How about you, Eric? What have you been watching recently? Okay, I've been watching a lot of horror, unfortunately, because today is my second day annual leave since um, before Christmas, believe it or not. Um, I have been watching films, but not a lot of horror. Uh, I've watched, uh, of course, Centrefold Girls and our next Patreon pick, which is Exorcist to the Heretic. But apart from that, the closest to a horror film, I, I got for Christmas a Australian import Blu-ray, uh, a double bill of Death Wish 2 and 3, uh, which is really good. It's part of the Canon Classics collection. <laughs> Um, what was the ooh for? Oh. You like? <laughs> no, Death Wish 3. Well, Death Wish 3 is oh. brilliant. I mean, they it killed the love, giggler. I they love, killed the giggler. I love <laughs> Death Wish 3. Death Wish yeah. 3 is so amazing. Okay, well, it is has it? a... Yes. yes. Hmm. You got to see it, Nathan. You'll love it. I'm telling you. Death okay. Wish, like Death Wish Two, is quite good. It's quite, it's, it's, it's a darker film, even though it's still yeah. incredibly far fetched. And it, the it, the version here is the unrated cut, which has sort of extended oh. scenes of rape and and horribleness. Ugh. But then the death, you get onto Death Wish Three, and it's a completely different kettle of fish altogether. It's very much like uh, Nathan. It's like uh, Charles Bronson starring in a Bronx Warriors sequel. Um, it's it's set in some kind of this highly unrealistic. Um, version of suburban New York. Well, I'm guessing it's highly unrealistic. I've never lived in New York, but it's really like it's got the most outlandish, cartoonish villains in it. Um, and, you know, people have rocket launchers just going around the streets of New York. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very it's very bizarre, but it's highly entertaining and very trashy. There's a great um, there's some good features on it. There's uh, outtakes of interviews that were done for the documentary Electric Boogaloo, the wild untold story of Canon Films. So you get a really uh, extended interview with Alex Winter, who's in uh, Death Wish 3. And yeah. he's, he's, he's really uh, articulate and he has great you know, anecdotes to say about behind the scenes. And he said it was a kind of a chaotic shoot. And it felt like um, even though he signed up for Death Wish 3 and thought it was going to be a multi-million dollar um, cinematic epic. It, it turned out that on the set, it felt like he was on a, a cheapo ten thousand dollar independent movie. Uh, I think it's a. I think it's a great film. Critics hate it, but uh, it is great. I love Alex Winter. Yeah, he's really yeah, he's funny. Yeah. yeah. Party on, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You of course. Know, I, yeah. I watched a Charles Bronson Christmas movie um, over the holidays. It was a remake of Yes, Virginia. There is a Santa Claus. Do you guys know that story about the girl that writes the story to the paper? Yes. Yeah. And and um, 
I was pretty sure that something was going to explode or he was going to kill somebody. <laughs> <laughs> but he doesn't. But it's great because like he plays this really tortured character, but he's like, yeah, going to kill you. You know, like you're just waiting for that like second where like he pummels the little girl. It never happens. <laughs> super disappointing but it's a good film i love charles bronson i've now seen the first four death wish films and the fourth is actually my favorite and i think you might like that one eric um i do no, i have seen it yeah i do like it and i like five as well i, I haven't mean, seen five I love yet the, these were i love the basket the yeah. basketball scene i think in death wish four i think it was that one i don't remember basketball scene there's a skating scene it may be five where he puts the bomb in a basketball and throws the basketball at somebody. Oh, no. no, but there is a really great scene where he puts a bomb in a bottle of wine in part four and Danny Trejo is the guy he gives it to. And they make like a Danny Trejo dummy to blow it up. And it's like totally amazing for like three seconds. You can see this dummy. That's like a life-size Danny Trejo doll. And he's great because he's like the bumbling vigilante. Like he gets caught doing everything. And at one point he's in this person's apartment and they're like, why are you here? And he's like, I'm making a sandwich. And then he throws them out the window. And it's amazing. <laughs> These were exactly the types of films I wouldn't have watched it back in the 80s. I thought they were, uh, it's just people going around, you know, it, it's just explosions nonstop. And now that's all I want from a film. It's amazing, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank but, you. That, but, that, but that's it, yeah. Is that Justin. It? Okay, well, thank you, Eric. Uh, Nathan, how about you? Um, well, I, I've watched some horror, but it's mainly horror that I've already seen and discussed. Like Wes and I last night rewatched Happy Death Day because it's my favorite movie of 2017. Um, I absolutely love the movie, um, and it's odd for me to see a, like a recent movie and to like it this much. So, um, that was fun rewatching that. Um, and I mean, I did rewatch, you know, like Terror Train and I boiled my hair and rewatched New Year's Evil. <laughs> oh, um, I watched that too. <laughs> boil your hair. I love Ross Kelly in that movie, yeah. even though she's kind of mean. New Year's Evil! I think her family, you know, everybody gets on her, but like, I think they're all super self-centered people. And like, I don't think her husband or son are necessarily any better than she is. And no. I feel like she gets a raw deal in that film in some ways, the character, because you know, she, it's the biggest night of her life. She's doing a TV show and, and they're pissed off that she's like focused on that. You she's know She's not I just mean? doing a TV show, Amanda. She's doing an awesome TV show with awesome new wave music. It's so good. Shadow is like my favorite band. Are you kidding <laughs> yeah, me? Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you, sister. <laughs> so that one was awesome, too. Um, and um, one that I probably haven't talked about that I did watch, you know, while we were on our break from the show, I watched uh, Three on a Meat Hook. We were on a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I love, first of all, the, the title is probably one of my favorite mo horror movie titles of all time, Three on a Meat Hook. I even wrote a story, but I called it Three on a Fish Hook. Um, Did you really? <laughs> yeah, when I was younger, I wrote a one called Three on a Fish Hook. That's is that a, a is fish hook. It's Three on a Meat Hook, a William Girdler movie. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, I mean, it's kind of hard to describe because uh, the first, you know, I'd say 20, 30 minutes is about these four girls that end up at this house uh, with this father and son and they get killed off. And then it just it kind of goes from there into these other territories, like the son meeting a woman and liking her, and it's a big whodunit. And but to me, like it, it, it kind of like um, the way the plot moves, 
it kind of reminds me of the toolbox murders because it's like most of the action scenes is in the first like 20 to 30 minutes. And, and the rest of the movie is, is, is more dramatic, I should say. Um, but I mean, I, I still really loved it. It's, it's hard for me to dislike a seventies movie because I just, uh, even when the movie's not completely entertaining, like I just, I don't know. I love the, the style it's, it's, you know, uh, there are a lot of fun to watch. I should say. My three on a meat hook story is that I was in a video shop in Amsterdam and I saw three on a meat hook there and I went up to the counter to buy it and then suddenly realized I was actually in a rental shop. And the guy behind the counter laughed at me. Oh, oh that's very unkind. <laughs> yeah, I thought I was what? in a re- I thought it was in a retail outlet, but it was just a video rental place. <laughs> but everything remember... was, everything was in Dutch, so how was I supposed to know? You remember what the artwork was, Eric? Was the the two women with the ginormous hair that's trying to hold their tops up? I can't remember. This was eighteen years ago, so yeah. Because yeah. that's my favorite artwork too. Or one of my favorites because it's the killer holding like this chain with the bloody hook and then two women like covered in blood like trying to hold their tops up and their hair is humongous i love humongous hair <laughs> i know it's it, i mean it looks like 80s hair to be honest even though this movie's made in the early 70s nobody in the movie has that big hair but it's, it's that's forward thinking yeah yeah mm-hmm gotta be uh there's another movie that i watched but i think joseph watched it as well so unless we can cover it when we get to him i think you watched it too justin i did yes so we're talking about irrational fear yes yes do you want to talk a little bit about it um yeah i mean uh so we uh i know the three of us watched this uh, new movie called irrational fear which is um a group of you know uh, people that all have like these different fears, well, irrational fears, just like the title. They end up at this uh, cabin, and basically they just start, you know, getting killed one by one. So that's, uh, you know, probably the easiest uh, description for it. And <clears throat> I'm, uh, first of all, I got to say that I, I say this every time, but I, I mean it. it. It's that if you actually make a movie and you know it's joseph and i know i mean it's 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 really hard work it's it's very uh, difficult to actually get a movie made and um so i give props to anybody that does it and um so i mean it, it props in there and i don't want to uh i don't want to say that i didn't like it um there's a few um Parts that I really did like, um, there's uh, a character that, you know, I kind of thought was going to be the last one standing and this character dies, you know, fairly early on. So that was a, a big surprise to me. Um, I will admit there's probably I did probably get some unintentional humor because I, I did laugh a little bit at the some scenes towards the end where I just I, I felt that one actor was probably acting a, a little over the top. Or maybe a little is an exaggeration, but, you know, just kind of over the top. And so, you know, it's 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 really difficult because I don't know where I would rate it. Um, I, I, I think that I would probably give it a five out of ten. I feel like it's 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 the middle of the road for me. OK, well, so 
Thank you, Nathan. Well, Joseph, do you want to chime in there? What are your thoughts on Irrational Fear? Well, um, this is the third outing from the Slasher Studios guys, I believe. It's the third or fourth, I can't remember. And they teamed up with L.A. Horror uh, to make this film. And, um, you know, for for the most part, I I, I kind of enjoyed uh, Don't Go to the Reunion and Dismembering Christmas. I especially thought Dismembering Christmas had some, uh, you know, really cracking cinematography and some, you know, fun, inventive kills. Uh, but if I'm honest, um, I, you know, like Nathan says, I don't want to dump on an indie indie film that, you know, is made for chump change. And it is very hard to make these films, you know, with very little money. But, um, I thought this was a massive, massive step down from dismembering Christmas. If I'm honest, uh, I would even go so far as to say that it was a bit of a chore to get through. Um, I just, I don't know. It just, it seemed, um, you know, whereas Dismembering Christmas was, you know, put together, you know, with some real polish, it felt really lazy and slapped together. And, um, I just didn't really care about anyone in the film. Uh, you know, I thought they made the mistake of, uh, going through the motions of, uh, you know, screaming, cursing characters, which I absolutely hate. Um, I didn't find the storyline all that interesting. And, uh, as Nathan said, I thought some of the acting was, if not ropey, then very, very grating and over the top, especially towards the end with one character who I won't name. Um, uh, <sighs> I, you know, I did like the, uh, what Nathan said that the, this one person who you expect to be the, the last person standing is killed off fairly early. I thought that was kind of uh, neat. And I, I do applaud slasher studios for trying something a little different because, um, if I'm honest, they, uh, they tend to, you know, you know, raise money and center their films at a cabin in the woods, which, you know, I guess is pretty good, you know, for, you know, logistical and budget reasons. But, um, at least here they tried a different kind of supernatural twist on it. But, um, you know, if I'm honest, I, I didn't care for the film. Uh, I would, you know, if, if I were going to say, hey, these Slasher Studios guys who are nice guys, by the way, uh, you know, especially Kevin Summerfield, who, I've, you know, I've talked to more than a few times. Uh, these are really nice guys and they got some talent. But um, I don't know. It just felt like maybe they rushed this or maybe they just didn't spend enough time on it. I just I found most of it really grating. And, you know, like I said, it was really very difficult to kind of get through. If I'm honest, I, I hate to, you know, be, you know, mean, but, uh, you know, I have to be honest. So, you know, that's my two cents on the film, I'm afraid. Okay. Well, thank you. I'd just, just like to say thank you to Andrew Bale, who kind of um, sent us the screener. Uh, I'm not sure when the film's going to be coming out, but I imagine it'll be out on video and demand soon. Um, I had sort of similar feelings about the film in so much, I think it's sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, in so much that, I liked the fact that it went away from the slasher um, template. Apart from the ending, the last twenty minutes is kind of kind of very slasher esque. Um, but it also means that what I was expecting from a slasher studios film wasn't necessarily there uh, to to start off with. I I, I actually quite appreciated the over the top performances. I thought they they fit the film quite well, and some of the characters I they had characters that I I did care about. I did like. Um, Especially the the final two left standing, uh, I thought they were fairly well painted and they had quite an interesting character arc uh, throughout the film. And I especially like the I can't remember the character's name or the actress's name, but the one who plays the alcoholic um, who's uh, afraid of water. Um, I thought she was an interesting you know character um, and quite funny. 
so I think I think the the difficulty I think with the film was it kind of reminded me of, of um, the the old film Phobia, um, I think John Huston sort of uh, film where. Uh, so with the, in this that people are being killed by their fears so you don't necessarily have a like a, a hooded or a masked killer going around offing people one by one um, and it's an interesting approach I don't think it necessarily worked as well as it could have done I think it got a little bit confused you weren't quite sure whether it's supernatural or if it was people you know it was bad drugs or what was going on um, but overall I think I thought it was nice of them to try something something new and I can I can certainly appreciate it. it's difficult to kind of re retour the slasher movie uh, to you know, to keep it fresh. So, um, but um, overall, I I think I prefer dismembering Christmas uh, to to irrational fear. But um, I look forward to seeing what they come up with next. So, um, anything else, uh, Nathan? Before we move on to Joseph. Oh no, you may move on to Joseph now. Thank you. <laughs> well, I won't get that rhubarb lady clip uh, ready then. So, Joseph, how about you? Um, what have you been watching? Well, not a lot of horror films. I did. I did watch that huge Christmas marathon as I posted on Facebook, but I won't really go into too much detail there. Uh, I saw the uh, disaster artist, which is not a horror film, but uh, I saw it twice now. And, um, you know, I I really liked it a lot. Um, I think I did enjoy the book a lot more because I think the film kind of Hollywoodizes a lot of the, you know, a lot of the down and dirty goings on behind this, uh, this crazy, you know, incident from 2002, 2003, and uh, they 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 leave out a lot of the details, and they kind of, you know, fudge the details a little bit. But um, you know, that being said, I still really enjoyed it. It's you know, it's concise, you know, in a good way. Um, and uh, you know, as everyone else has probably already said before, uh, James Franco is like on point as Tommy Wiseau. There's there's moments where um, the prosthetics on his face match Tommy Wiseau to a T and his voice just matches it to a T. So you really think you're looking at Tommy Wiseau a lot in the film. There's moments where you, you can see James Franco, but uh, for the most part, he gets so lost in the character. You don't really, you don't realize you're watching an actor uh, playing a, a bad actor. Um, but, you know, that said, I, you know, I've seen it twice. I loved it. Um, the book is better, but um, still a, a great film. Um, I highly recommend it. And off of that, the Room is playing at the Hamilton Place 8 this Wednesday at 8 o'clock. Uh, so I'm going to take some spoons and go see the film, and I'm really looking forward to that. Excellent. I still, I've still, i not seen The Disaster Artist. I know you have, Eric, haven't you? Yes, I loved it as well. I would agree the book is better because it has more detail, obviously. The, the film is, is little over 90 minutes, and for once... I was complaining that a film was too short. I would like to have seen, particularly the, particularly the section where they're showing the filming of the room. I would like to see another maybe half hour of that. But I, I did love the film. I thought it was very. I don't. I don't, I don't mind it being Hollywoodized either. It gave it a nice feel-good um, factor. Cool. Okay, uh, Amanda, have you seen it? I haven't. You know what? I've never seen. And it's crazy because I lived in L.A. all those years that he was renting that theater at the Lemley to show it. And he had billboards up and we would drive by them and it'd be like, what is that? And over the years, it slowly built up a cult reputation while I was in L.A. And I just never ventured to see Well, it was playing at midnight, which was difficult in and of itself. But um, and I just never saw it. And then kind of the years have gone by since then. And it's grown and grown. And almost everybody I know has has seen it. And I still haven't had a chance. We almost rented it over the break. But I think we ended up getting, um, I don't even remember what we ended up renting. But um, so, yeah. So I haven't seen 
the disaster artist. I really want to, though, because um, watching the trailers did make it look like it feel good. And I was really worried. I can't stand uh, when people sort of make fun of somebody that's probably really easy to make fun of because that's totally lazy and mean and, and ridiculous. And I was I don't I don't want to see that film. And so it was nice to hear that they don't go that route. And I didn't know it was even based on a book. I didn't even know there was a book about Tommy Wiseau. So that's the that's the good thing about the disaster artist and the book, especially, is that they don't you know they don't poke fun at you know Tommy's uh, shortcomings in a way that's mockery. It's more like this guy you know he's 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 kind of bizarre and he's really out there, but he's he's got so much heart to him, even if he is a little bit of a a pill to swallow sometimes. Um, he's got so much heart and passion and. He's such an interesting person that it's 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 really hard to mock him in that sense. It's it's more mockery of along the lines of wow, you know, you really created something bizarre here, and not, and not wow, you're just terrible. Stop doing this. It's um, I like that the room is this film where uh, people laugh at it because it's just so bizarre and not because it's just so bad. Um, but yeah, that's that's my two cents on Tommy Wiseau. I, the the film uh, doesn't really quite go into the detail as the book, as I said, on Tommy Wiseau. I mean, the book there's a lot of details about how how um, how out of how how out of touch he is with um, how reality works, and they kind of <laughs> they kind of they kind of tone it down a little bit in the movie. So I would have liked to have seen more of that. But you know, uh, I think it, it plays fair with Tommy. It doesn't you know make him into this uh, quit while you're ahead type guy it really makes him kind of this uh this uh kind of misguided underdog which i really appreciated cool okay thank you is there anything else joseph uh oh uh one more i started watching uh black mirror season four hmm. um i i've only watched one episode so far because uh, i haven't really had a chance to go back to it but uh, i know you saw it justin i saw the uh the first episode the uss callister which is basically a riff on uh, the Star Trek series, and you know, as I said, Star Trek: The Next Generation, I think, is okay. But I'm not a Star Trek fan. But I really love um, the twist they put on Star Trek here because I thought it was very clever, and it really reminded me, especially the way it ended. It really reminded me of like you know, classic uh, Tales from the Dark Side or Tales from the Crypt episodes with that kind of ironic. Uh, twist at the end, or I wouldn't really call it a twist, but more of a, you know, someone gets what's coming to them type, you know, scenario. I really like the Black Mirror series. I think they're off to a good start, and I can't really, you know, I can't wait to pick the the rest of the episodes of season four back up. But uh, you said you saw it, Justin. What did you think of it? Yeah, I really liked it. I've seen the whole series. I was kind of binge-watched it over Christmas. Um, uh, and Yeah, I, I like them. I think there's it, they've got mixed reviews. Um there's um, uh, there's one that's very very dark. There's one that's kind of a little bit like the San Junipero, um, Junipero, Junipero. Anyway, that one that's a little bit more upbeat. Uh, and there's there's one that's not exactly slasher esque, but it's got um, somebody being pursued for most of the, um, the 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 episode. So yeah, it's it's I th- you know I think they're great. Um, uh, but I like I like the um, um, the Callister one. I thought it was kind of quite clever, and it doesn't exactly go where you expect it to. Um, but it also has quite a lot of humour to it, which I quite appreciated. So, so I'm glad that the, now it's gone to Netflix. It hasn't hasn't really lost its kind of slightly quirky British humour, because I think Charlie Brooker does bring stuff that, um, and he's being allowed to to still have, use his kind of unique voice, which 
if it, you know if it was put on a I don't know a mainstream American TV channel these days, potentially he wouldn't be able to get away with some of the stuff he does or some of the language he uses or the references he makes. So so yeah, no, it's it's good. Has anyone else seen Black Mirror? Yes. Mm. Um, I thought the Black Museum was my favorite of the fourth season. Mm. Well, that's kind of like... Uh, well, so far. I haven't watched all of the fourth season yet. I've only seen three episodes. Okay. Well, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because we're doing a film, The Centerfold Girls, today, which is kind of a little bit like an anthology. Well, it is an anthology, essentially. And um, the Black Museum is a kind of an anthology of sorts as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and a very good one, I thought. Mm. Excellent. Um, what about you, Eric? Have you seen them? No, but uh, of all, like you know, I'm not a fan of these uh, these sort of TV series, modern day ones. But this is the one that would entice me most because each uh, each episode is an individual, yeah, uh, they, thing entity. They ha- yeah, they have some connections a little bit with, um, especially the last one sort of ties up some things and brings in elements. But yeah, they are essentially all individual stories, like a so, yeah. Because I'm loving Inside Number Nine, which has just started its fourth season on BBC mm. this week. Um, yeah. So this sounds like it might be on the same lines, just less comedic. Yeah, I definitely would recommend it if you've got Netflix. And they're all, I do. Yeah. They, they're all on there. So um, and they are kind of just basically an hour individual stories. It's all based around dysfunctional future. So like uh, things that are kind of you know slightly in the in the future and where things start going wrong or things might go wrong. So. Yeah, definitely worth a watch. Eric, I think you, I think you would like the uh, the USS Callister. I know you're a Star Trek fan. the 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 route they take with that is really interesting. Mm. Very good. Well, I will give it a whirl. So, yeah. Excellent. What about you, Amanda? Are you are you a Black Mirror fan? I've never seen it. Um, you know what? I watch Young and the Restless in General Hospital, and that's <laughs> ten hours a week. <laughs> <Okay>. So <laughs> I don't have much room for. Um, a lot of shows. I've been wanting to see Black Mirror for some time, and I really want to see that Inside Number Nine show, especially that Christmas episode they did a couple seasons ago. Mm-hmm. Um, one's, the, one's the audio commentary. Is that what it has? It's like it feels to me like aesthetically, it might be like a thriller episode. Like yeah. it kind of looks like that, and I love thriller, and um, and so I've been curious about it. But um, Black Mirror has been coming up, I guess, because they have a new season, and everybody's been talking about it. And I I keep thinking, you know what? I can watch one episode, and I don't have to keep because. You know, soap operas are every day, and so it's a lot of commitment because of that. But something like an anthology show probably is right up my alley. By the way, have you guys heard that they're going to be redoing The Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele from Get Out? Oh, really? Oh, oh a, a TV show or a movie? Yeah, a TV series um, for CBS All Access here. So I'm guessing in England they'll pick it up on one of the channels, hopefully. But um, he um, he had said when he did Get Out that he wanted to do – uh, different movies about different social justice, like anxieties and issues and things like that. And so I think he's probably the, I don't know if you guys have all seen Get Out, but it's amazing. And um, he's going to uh, be helming the Twilight Zone reboot, uh, which I don't know when it's coming, but they've just started putting out some teaser artwork and stuff. And I'm super excited about that. I'm going to watch. Cool. Excellent. Great. Well, thank you. Joseph, is there anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, no, that's, I think that's about it. Okay, well, I'll just rattle f- through a few I saw, and um, talking of Netflix and also uh, James Franco, I saw the uh, the film The Vault uh, on Netflix the other day. Um, are any of you familiar with that? No. No? No, well, it's it's a kind of horror, it's definitely a horror movie, but it's set in a, in a bank um, and there's a heist goes wrong. Uh, but um, there'd been a heist there back in 1982 and the person who'd 
who'd um, uh, basically murdered all of the all of the bank tellers um, and then disappeared. And um, the 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 people working the bank say that the 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 kind of vault in the cellar is haunted. Um, but the, um, the the robbers want to get into the the vault to they think all the money is in there, so it kind of it goes it's very it's a kind of supernatural it's not a slasher movie but it's a supernatural and James Franco has a, a kind of relatively small but quite pivotal role in it um, and I won't give away what his role is but uh, um, it's not amazing but it's definitely worth a watch if you've got Netflix it's kind of it's it's quite creepy. Um, because all of the well, basically the um, the people that were killed in 1982, they're kind of the ghosts that you see. They've all got these kind of they have the um, sacks over their heads to stop them uh, seeing what's going on, and then you see them basically dead. I mean, it's revealed fairly early on um, that they're kind of supernatural presences, but their their sacks they've got their eyes are sunken and their mouths are kind of gaping and sort of quite creepy. Um, so yeah, definitely worth a watch if you get a chance of that. Um, the, the other film, uh, well, a couple of other films I want to mention quickly. One, we're talking about Christmas films. Um, I saw A Christmas Horror Story, again, that was on Netflix. Um, and it's another um, kind of anthology-type thing, although it's kind of more linked about uh, three different stories interlinked with William Shatner playing a, um, a, a DJ. Uh, and the overarching, the interlinking one, it's quite a clever film. I, I, I remember seeing because I know there's so many of these Krampus movies out there which are really shit, not the main Krampus one, but apparently there's loads of really low-budget kind of Krampus rip-offs. And I thought this might be a bit of a kind of rip-off, and, but it's actually got a healthy budget. It's quite got a lot of fun about it, like a fun Christmas movie. Um, but the overarching story is a kind of Santa Claus um, versus Krampus where his elves... Um, uh, go turn into zombies and become the undead elves at kind of Santa Claus HQ and it sounds very silly and it kind of is silly but it's kind of quite dark at the same time and my favourite line in there was when one of the zombie elves um, attacks Santa and goes um, I'm going to get you you Christmas cunt which was made us, <laughs> which kind of made That's us all the laugh. Oldest world, I, exactly. Bird. It is uh, so, but it's full of that kind of thing, and it's quite, yeah, it's quite subversive and quite funny. And William Shatner's really funny in it as well, and it it wraps up in a way that very much reminds of a um, an earlier eighties Christmas slasher movie. So if that's still on Netflix. Mm. That's definitely worth a watch. Um, another one I watched on Netflix yesterday or last night actually was Don't Knock Twice with uh, Katie Sackhoff, who was in um, Halloween Resurrection 2002, and she's been in lots of TV and various things. And um, uh, it's a Welsh film, which curious, made by kind of Welsh screen or Welsh, the Welsh film, whatever, it's kind of bureau, um, but has absolutely no Welsh people in it, seemingly anyway. No one's got a Welsh accent. But um, it's, it's kind of a throwback to the kind of the ring and the grudge. It kind of, um, it's about a kind of a witch that's kind of summoned, but very much of that kind of dark hair hanging over the face, but quite, quite creepy, actually. It's quite well done. Um, uh, a bit silly um, and a bit convoluted, but that might be worth a watch as well if you're not uh, too, uh, too kind of um, worried about the, uh, you know, the quality. Um, and the last thing I'll just mention was, again, another Netflix thing, which I saw, Slasher Guilty Party. Um, and um, thank you to Joseph pointing me in the way of that. Um, and I really liked it. I thought it was an improvement on the first se- season, uh, which I like the first season, but this one is set. Um, I mean, we talked about this before, about the saying and um, that many people have wanted the, the new Friday 13th um, film to be set in the snow because obviously having Jason Voorhees walking, you know, um, going after people in a blizzard would be interesting. And so this one is kind of basically a kind of not a Friday 13th film, but very, very gory whodunit slasher. Um, set in an isolated cabin in the woods 
um, but it's um, with lots of flashbacks and various things. And it, it, I think it works really, really well. It's kind of, it's gory. It's not scary, but I did like the reveal of who the killer was because you think it's going to be one person that it turns out to be somebody else. So I just thought it was quite kind of clever, but also over the top in a way that is kind of, you know, works worked really well. Um, I hope they make us season three because, again, it had no connections to the first one at all. Um, but uh, we'll wait and see. But, uh, yeah, so um, that's what I've been watching recently, I think. I don't think there's anything else. So, so that, yeah. that played, you know, just fine for you, Justin, the whole series? Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. So I'm keeping my eye on my cat. That's... So kind of running around the... Uh, running around the, uh, the room but uh yeah, yeah yeah so that that was all good so so excellent I'm glad okay. that worked out yeah no thank you um shall we move on to the main feature sure yes is that a, okay well here is the trailer for 1974's the centerfold girls meet the centerfold girls beautiful girls in the world. They're ready for anything, anywhere, anytime. Either that or swim back eight miles. Well, think of the exercise. Help you ladies keep those bodies in good shape. I don't need that kind of exercise to keep my shape. And what kind do you need? If I knew you better, I might tell you. How far is it from beauty to ugliness? Now look. We both know you've got too much talent to keep on modeling. You'd be nice to me and I'll get you into something big. Now. You know, Melissa was right. There is a four-letter word for you, Perry. B-O-R-E. Well, at least you spelled it right. How far is it from beauty to terror? Displaying your body is filth. You dirty the mind of others. Do you know what they should do with little girls like you? She's got six hundred bucks in her account. There isn't going to be any trouble, is there? I mean, uh... Between you and me? What are you talking about? You know damn well what I'm talking about. I just want to help. Well, that may be very good for Detective Magazine, Lieutenant, but I really... You're a centerfold girl. And this lunatic, for some crazy reason, wants to kill pretty girls. His choice of the most beautiful girls in the world. Which would he love? Which would he kill? You scream and I'll slit your throat. The Centerfold Girls, rated R. A depraved religious fanatic sets out to punish all the immoral, in inverted commas, women who have posed for the centerfold of a men's magazine. Um, that's the very, very short uh, synopsis of IMDb, um, but essentially it, it kind of describes the, the basic gist of the film, which is, a, as we uh, mentioned already, is kind of um, a bit of an anthology. It's only linked, really, by Andrew Prine as the kind of religious fanatic who's going after these women who've posed for um, a topless calendar. 
so he's kind of like in as time on his tradition, but certainly many films have used this device of kind of um, of a calendar of going through, and he goes after like Miss January, Miss February, Miss March, as, 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 um, and such forth. Uh, it's a kind of a film, as I mentioned, it's from like the, the earlier, the six, six, seventies. It's kind of a grindhouse film, which is um, is very um, nihilistic in a lot of ways. Uh, the all of the characters, bar the girls themselves, the women who pose topless, who um, are the, the the main characters, the women are the the most likable. Um, uh, down to earth, funny, you know, kind of characters. It's almost, it's kind of, I always think it's sometimes it's kind of like a, a good test of a movie is you, if you would be happy to spend time with those characters in a non horror movie. And all of the characters uh, in this, you could see that you could have fun with them in a 70s comedy. Um, so, but all around them, pretty much everyone else, men and women, um, you know, apart from a, a few rare examples, are. Um, either not who they seem to be, um, who are kind of out to rip them off, either to murder them, to rape them. I, it's just kind of they're surrounded by this kind of sea of depravity and um, and seventies nihilism, which can be quite difficult to take in in you know in some in some scenes. But it's the the women's roles, the characters, which kind of ground this and make it um, not a kind of not a terror, unbearably nihilistic kind of um, uh, ninety minutes. Uh, there's some fun in it. It has a section in the middle, the, the middle story, where um, a small group of models and their kind of manager and the photographer and agent go to um, uh, an island retreat and then get bumped off one by one by Andrew Prine, who's there's no disguising. It's not it's not like, a, um, you know, like many proto slashes, it's not playing to the slasher movie rules necessarily. So Andrew Prine is um is uh, kind of uh, you know he's just he's kind of mixed up in in so much he wants to he keeps on saying he wants to help the the women but he helps them by murdering them uh well i say help in inverted commas but he goes to the island bumps them off one by one um and uh it's it's kind of a lot of fun in a little proto slasher thing the the last sequence has got um uh, Tiffany Bolling, who was in the other proto slasher Wicked Wicked, which um, is well worth seeking out, as well as kind of a number of kind of seventies uh, exploitation roles. She's fantastic in this. I mean, she's she's an interesting character. We'll talk a bit more about her uh, later, but um, uh, yeah. So I overall, I thought it's it's a great little movie. It's not one that I was expecting to like necessarily, but um, I did review it on History Lives some years ago. Uh, and I enjoyed revisiting it on as kind of a you know it's been released on Blu-ray and it's a much better quality presentation. So, um, so but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, Amanda, as our guest co-host. So what did you think of the Centerfold Girls? Was it your first time? It was my first time watching it, and um, for years uh, I was mixing it up with the Candy Snatchers, which also stars Tiffany Bowling, and it's also got such a generic title that I didn't really know it was a horror film. So. I kind of, I think when I heard about it through the years, I probably just sort of put it in the back of my mind. Um, there's also two TV movies that are kind of similar in terms of, uh, there's the Calendar Girl Murders and then there's uh, the Cover Girl Murders and those are more overt in their titles so I know what I'm getting when, <laughs> when I decide to watch it. But um, yeah, I'd never seen it before. I was really looking forward to it. I love, as I said earlier, Andrew Prine and I, I really like Tiffany Bowling quite a bit. Um, I have very mixed feelings about this film, and I'm still kind of working through how I feel about it. Um, and I'm I'm under the impression that somebody requested that I be on this episode to talk about the film. And so I'm curious why they wanted me to talk about the Centerfold Girls. And so I feel like when I was watching 
this that was kind of in the back of my mind because I don't know that this is necessarily a pro-woman film in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways it is pro-woman. And so I think that's where the um, conflict is inside me. So uh, what I want to do real briefly is just talk about the things I liked, and then I want to talk a little, just very briefly, about the male gaze and, and what I think the film is doing with the male gaze and why I think it's maybe pretty positive in some ways and pretty negative in others. So... Um, like I said, I have mixed feelings. I think the cast is really, really good. Um, Andrew Prine, uh, I don't know if anybody here has seen Simon King of the Witches, but that's probably my favorite Andrew Prine movie. He's extremely charming. It's really hard to take your eyes off him when he's on the screen, and not just because I think he's very handsome. He's really talented. He's got um, a really strong presence to him, and he's also really good at playing different kinds of characters. So he is a pretty much just a sleazeball in this film, pretty creepy, um, and he does a really good job. He, he sort of embraces these B-movies. And at the time, I don't know if anybody watched the featurette on the DVD of uh, one of the releases, at least, but he talked about how he was making big Hollywood movies in these little films. And I don't think that Andrew Prine ever, like, sleepwalks through anything. I think whatever you give him, he does as to the best of his abilities. And that's why movies like Grizzly um, and uh, what was that other movie I was thinking of that he did? Um, but there's some other movies that would be considered kind of lowbrow and his heart is fully there. And I really appreciate that about him. And I think he's wonderful. Um, and I will watch anything he's in. Tiffany Bowling is kind of an idol for me. I don't know if anybody here has seen Kingdom of the Spiders, but yeah. she wears driving gloves, first of all. She looks so amazing in that film. And she picks up these giant tarantulas and holds them like it's nothing, like, like they're pets. And she's fearless, and I think she's fearless in this role, too. And she's another actress that I will watch pretty much anything. I think she is so beautiful, and I really regret that she never became a Charlie's Angel because I think she's perfectly suited for those kinds of roles. She's very strong. Um, she also has a lot of presence. And um, and I thought the direction was really good. I thought the soundtrack was amazing. It was by this band called Wheeze that I couldn't find any information on. It's very 70s kind of, I don't know if it's rock, but it's very guitar-based. It's a totally different kind of score than I'm used to in these sort of movies. Um, it had some really, really excellent photography. But what turned me off of it was the rape equality to it. And not because the rapes are necessarily difficult to watch because they are pretty much off screen, which I'm thoroughly grateful for. But it's that the film itself feels really, really rapey. And I know when I say that, I think on an earlier episode, I mentioned how much I liked House on the Edge of the Park. And that is wall-to-wall -wall rape. And for I don't know why I like that movie so much, but I've seen it 20 times. I can quote it. Um, I have some of the music on my iPod. Um, it's a movie that I think about fondly. But in general, there's something about... <sighs> watching this kind of stuff happen to women, I guess the older I get, the more sensitive I am to it. But something Justin wrote in his review really struck me. And I think that he hit the nail on the head for me. And that's in his review, he wrote in the third segment, Tiffany Bowling's character um, gets raped by these two sailors that pick her up and give her a ride. And they give her like a roofie. And then they take her to this hotel and they rape her. And you don't see the rape. You kind of see the struggle. And then it's the next day. But, um, he said, uh, Justin, in your review, you said something to the effect of she is so resigned to being a victim that the rape is kind of like just something that happens along the way. And that defeatist victim quality that the characters have ultimately really, I think, sat inside me and it upset me because even though I think the characters are extremely likable and definitely the best parts of the film, there's this idea that this constant victimization is happening to them. And so for me, it's exhausting to see that, especially now sort of when all of this 
stuff has been coming up recently with the Weinstein guy and with uh, Kevin Spacey and like sort of this idea that like um, women or marginalized, you know, gay men, um, people are just there for your sexual pleasure or for your power trips. And this film really encompasses that in a way that I think maybe is too palpable for me. And that's where my struggle is with the film. So I thought about this film a lot and I thought, well, what is it saying? I couldn't understand why they did it as an anthology to some degree, because to me, an anthology film would be something like Trilogy of Terror, where you have a story, but the story has some kind of real payoff at the end. And the payoff here is just to watch a woman get murdered. And it's like, well, how do I feel about that? I don't know. So um, so I'm still thinking about the film. But one of the things that struck me about it is that there's this thing um, in film theory called the male gaze, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners and you guys are probably semi-familiar with at least. And so I don't want to go too deeply into it because it's not a theory I necessarily always back, but I do think that there is some merit to it. And so I kind of copied and pasted just a very small little from different articles about what the male gaze is. And I'm just going to briefly go into it and then tell you where I think it subverts that and what makes this film pretty good in some ways. So essentially the male gaze is just a sort of a feminist philosophy point, uh, essentially meaning that um, it's the act of depicting the world and women in the visual arts and in literature from a masculine and heterosexual point of view, which presents the women as objects of male pleasure, male uh, being italicized, because it's really about uh, a masculine viewpoint of what a woman should be. And sort of, the I should say not masculine, but patriarchal. Um, so adopting the language of psychoanalysis, uh, Laura Mulvey, who created this theory, argued that the traditional Hollywood films respond to a deep-seated drive known as scopophilia, which is the sexual pleasure involved in looking. Mulvey argued that the most popular movies are filmed in ways that satisfy masculine scopophilia. The male gaze takes many forms, but can be identified by situations where female characters are controlled by and mostly exist in terms of what they represent to the hero. Filmmakers often attempt to avoid presenting the uh, to attempt to present female characters as mere sexual objects by giving them complex backstories, strong motivations, and an active role in the plot to their story. Yet the masculine gaze is still commonplace. So when I put this together, I made a note of the film that stuck out to me most, even though it doesn't really have. There's nothing in the way of gratuity in it. But um, the Lost Boys, you know, Star is basically an object. And she is all about how she is seen by not just the hero, but by the villain. And that is basically like a trophy or a prize. And if you go back and watch The Lost Boys, which um, I've seen several times, um, I just saw it for my 10th time in the theater. It's one of my favorite movies. But she stuck out to me as a character that really means nothing. She's there to be one. And, it, you know, watching it now, I think that that's a really complicated thing. As a young girl, for me to see that film, what I wanted was to be the object of desire. So the way the way it works for a woman watching a film through the male gaze is that the woman desires to become the woman in the film only because she is the object of desire. And so the way a lot of women are presented in films, a good example might be Pretty Woman, um, is that they do this thing called body cutting, where what they do is they only show the woman's body without the head and she ceases to be a person, she just becomes an object. And um, there's a lot of films that do that. And to a degree, the calendar girl murders really, uh, what's the word I want to use? It really emphasizes that because, you know, Andrew Prine is cutting uh, faces 
out of the calendars, and then all that's left is their body. And he's actually crumpling up the picture of their face, and he's throwing it away. And he's ceasing to see these women as uh, people, and he's only seeing them as objects. But what the film does to counteract that, and in some ways Andrew Prine is the hero because we're following his journey to some extent, but then we're also following the other journeys. So um, what this film does, and in really interesting ways, it tries to subvert the male gaze. So it, it's enmeshed in the male gaze because, like, in the first segment, Jamie Lynn Bauer's character, she's a nurse, and she's applying for a job at, like, this camp. And the second, wherever she goes, with the exception of the guy getting her gas at the beginning, she is there to be looked at. Um, oh, what's his name? Aldo Ray's character is, like, leering at her. It's all about leering at the women. And even Aldo Ray's wife is leering at her. She is just an object. But because we learn about her as a person, and I think the first segment is the strongest of the three, to be honest, um, it, we start to see them as people. So it's actually taking the male gaze and it's using that sort of camera technique that uh, exploitation films are known for and where the male gaze concept came from. But then it's subverting it because, because it's spending so much time with these women that you can't help but see them as people. And so in that way, it's really pro-feminist, um, even if it's unintentional. So that aspect of it I really liked because I think that the women are so good. Not only did they get really good actresses and really beautiful women, you know, they you know, and I don't want to deny that. I mean, I understand that exploitation films mean a certain thing, and I don't mind nudity in films, um, and I don't mind, like, all of these taboo things that happen that a lot that have create a lot of uproar, I think, with other women maybe who watch these films. Um, I don't mind any of that, but but the rape equality really sat with me and, and was very distasteful. And it was really hard. And I think what Justin was talking about, some of it was difficult to watch. I think that first segment in particular is very difficult. It's like watching something like Last House on the Left, where you have to sort of watch this girl be tortured for a long period of time, and it's very harrowing. And um, and I don't mind that. I think that's very effective. But then I couldn't understand there was if it's an anthology film, where is, like, the kicker at the end? It's not there. It's sort of, like, defeated. You know what I mean? And so I think that's where I'm struggling, if that makes sense, with the film. So I think it's got a, a lot of uh, qualities that make it not just a good watch. And I would recommend people watch it. I wouldn't say don't watch it. But... Um, it also has like a very heavy conceptual theory behind it um, that's really fascinating. But at the same time, it's got this a sort of undertone to it that um, I found distasteful. So that's my long way of saying that I have very mixed feelings about it. And I'm not sure that all made sense, but that's just my general overview. No, it made perfect sense and very interesting. I think it's kind of um, uh, to look at it in those terms because... I think it kind of definitely warrants warrants that, and obviously looking back at films from this time period is always going to be problematic in in some ways. Um, but uh, yeah, but it's interesting then, especially at the ends of the film where you have uh, Tiffany Bolling's character, uh, spoiler alert, sort of uh, fights back and essentially kills Andrew Bryan, um, and uh, she does it in uh, you know somebody she's just had an you know. They, when I mentioned in my review about the about her rape and her being so resigned, which I thought was uh, is not not something that you would necessarily be done today, and it was almost is this is this kind of a comment on that kind of culture of the way that women are objectified and 
were treated back then. Um, but it was all kind of it was kind of building up to that kind of um, primal rage she has at the end, which I thought was kind of was interesting. Um, but uh, no, thank you, Amanda. That's, um, oh, that's very, very insightful. Oh, just so, real quick. One other thing I want to say uh, when you made me think of it was that something that this film does, too, that's really interesting is that the three women being a center for, well, maybe not so much with the second segment, but so they all have very professional jobs, right? Like the first girl is a nurse. The second girl, not a professional job, but she's a college student. And the third girl is a stewardess. And they're highly independent. And being a centerfold girl is almost like just a way to make ends meet. And so what's so fascinating about them is that a, lo a lot of issues that come out with these type of magazines is that they're there to be commodified. Their bodies are there to make money for like a man who owns a magazine. But at the same time, the women are doing this. They're in control of the image. They're not they're not falling necessarily into the prey of uh, being, com they're being commodified, but they're also profiting from it and so that they can live these fuller lives in a way. I mean, I think that that's kind of insinuated in the film. And so that's also really interesting. They own the image is what um, I'm trying to say. And, um, and that's part of what I think infuriates Andrew Prine's character and is a motivator for that. I'm sorry. I just want to mention that real quick. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you, Amanda. Um, Eric, what did you think of the Centerfold Girls? Okay, well, this is my first time watching this film as well. Um, and like Amanda, the, the sort of generic title had sort of made me think, you know, it probably isn't slasher related. It's probably more of a, a sleazy uh, 70s exploitation movie. I, I kind of liked it. For me, the, the hardest bit to watch is that first segment as well, but probably not for the same reasons as Amanda. For me, it's the, it's the home invasion bit with the hippies that... Uh, almost infuriates me to a degree because there's no um there's no closure on that story those hippies get away scot-free uh, right. and they're never seen again for, for the rest of the film and that just irks me it's the same way that i feel about uh, eden lake where the chavs kind of more or less get away with it uh, you know oh. I, was, I was just annoyed that these hippies seem to get get away with it at all um watching the film i i'd read about the film because it's in um Stephen Schwing Thrower's um, book Nightmare USA. So I had read about it, but I'd completely forgotten about how the film was structured. So I was really taken aback when um, Jackie, is that the character's name, she's killed in the 33rd minute of the film. And I, I was like, oh, that's, that's strange. And as the movie went on, I could see, okay, this is the blueprint that Quentin Tarantino obviously must have used for Death Proof because it does, mm -hmm. exact, it does exactly the same thing where it builds up all these main characters and kills them off and sort of reboots itself again. Um, this one has the audacity to do it twice, whereas Quentin Tarantino only did it once in his film. Um, so, yeah, so it's almost like three episodes, as you said, of, of a serial killer TV series that have been stitched together. Um, as you're saying, Justin, I, like, I feel total empathy and, and for, the, for these poor centerfold girls. I mean, they're really likable characters and they just seem to end up being harassed by everyone left, right and centre. And it's not just the the psycho killer, um, who almost seems to be the least their worries for the bulk of the running time. He only makes his appearance at the very end. Um, you know, take Jackie, for instance, you know, she not only is she stalked by the killer, she has to enjoy those, hit those hippies. And then she is, and has an attempted rape by Aldo yeah. Ray, who's her would be savior. Um, you know, how worse can, how much worse can her day get? Uh, and as, you know, as, um, uh, Amanda was saying it's it's quite unusual the way that the, like if, if it is an anthology series they just end with people being killed um, there's no twist as such and there's no uh, it doesn't feel like a concrete conclusion but I, I suppose it's it, it makes the film slightly more experimental I suppose um, 
the final section is the one that I feel is probably the most influential on, on Death Proof because it's the final girl who throws caution to the wind and she believes then that defense is the best form of attack and she just goes for it. And it kind of provides a fist pumping finale as, you know, she proves to be a very likable character and she gives the film, I, I suppose, a satisfying conclusion. Although I still think that I would like those hippies to return at the very end of the film and be killed. Um, I thought they were more obnoxious and more despicable than Andrew Prine, who has, I don't know, he, he's not as, he doesn't feel to me as evil. Um, he just, he seems he, mentally ill in some way, but no, he doesn't seem as evil, if that makes sense. Um, so overall, no, I was impressed with the movie. I really, uh, I suppose, I did enjoy it. Uh, would it be one I'd rewatch? Probably not, but I, do, I would highly recommend it to, to, to people. Um, yeah, so a, a big surprise, because I was expecting something quite different. Okay, well, thank you, Eric. Um, what about you, Joseph? Uh, I'm on the fence about the Centerfold Girls, if I'm honest. I like the idea of putting the uh, the, the sort of proto-slasher aesthetics through a sort of uh, anthology spin cycle, but uh, I think the Centerfold Girls is pretty much wash, rinse, repeat with each story, I'm afraid. I mean, by the by the time the final story rolled around, you know, I began to lose track of how many dirtbag rapists were featured in this film. I mean, it's all a bit repetitive and kind of mean spirited. Well, actually very mean spirited. Um, as you kind of get a wash of victims whose only, you know, quote unquote sin was the, you know, the bearing of their flesh, you know, that many of these skeezy aggressors, uh, you know, and rapists get away with their, you know, their shenanigans while these, uh, you know, rather innocent girls are brutally killed over nothing more than being anatomical. Well, it's it's all a bit dour to me, I think. Um, you know, however, I did think the killer was very well played by Andrew Prine. And uh, the Centerfold Girls, you know, it absolutely drips with 70s atmosphere and music, which I really liked a lot. You know, it has some very lush uh, beachside photography, and I think that helps sort of ease the unpleasantness in a bit. But uh, and and you know, all said and done, the movie you know can't really be faulted for being boring because it certainly is not boring. It's just I didn't find it enjoyable in the sense that I find a lot of slashers or proto slashers to be enjoyable. I I I, I felt the quote unquote catharsis reached by the final or the 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 last the last girl in the story here was kind of false. Um, as you know, as while spoiler alert, Andrew Prine does get what's coming to him. He's more, his character's more on the scale of delusion rather than outright evil as much as, as much as the, uh, the other men featured here are kind of painted to be, it feels a bit sort of like, you know, Texas executing the mentally handicapped while pure evil, you know, uh, objectifying women to the point of outright submit to me while I rape you goes unpunished, which I think is far more, uh, far more worse, uh, than, you know, a guy with maybe a, a warped mind going around slitting people's throats. I mean, I may be, um, you may disagree, your mileage may vary there, but, uh, it, this film goes out of its way to let a lot of these rapist characters just kind of, you know, either disappear from the story altogether or just kind of go unpunished at all. While this Andrew Prine character basically, you know, he is obviously killing these women, but it seems to me like he's he's more he's more, you know, he's not all there. So maybe he really can't help it. So I kind of found that kind of off putting. And I think there's not much zippiness or fun to be had here. Uh 
you know, in the sense that a lot of these uh, slashers or proto slashers are just kind of light, you know, even though they have murders, they're kind of lighthearted and just fun. I didn't really find this to be fun. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say this is a, a complete miss or anything, but it's not really a, uh, a centerfold page turner in my book either. So, uh, I think I'm going to give it a marginal thumbs sideways. I, I don't like it, but I don't dislike it either. So that's my two cents. Okay. Well, thank you, Joseph. What about you, Nathan? Justin, why do you insist on bringing the rhubarb lady out? Hey, why do the- you know that this movie is my choice? How am I going last on my own choice? Ha, ha, I was thinking that earlier. Oh. I'm like, this is my choice. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nathan. I thought it's my choice. No, yours no. is next week. No. Oh. Yeah, I'm going to go first on your choice, Justin. <laughs> oh, I, I do oh. apologize, Nathan. Because y'all said ice. everything that I've written in my notes. I studied this movie. Oh, well no. done, Justin. Look what you've done now. Yes. Look, this wasn't Eric's fault, Justin. This was yours. I do apologize. And I won't even play this. Fuck you. Come on, you and you won't play that, no. <laughs> but the Centerfold Girls, this was one of those movies that this was my first time watching it too. And um, the description, I love the description for it because it's like, oh, you know, somebody's like, it's a home invasion, and you know, like the second one's a slasher, and the third one's like a stalking. And I thought, well, this all sounds amazing. And I watched it, and I'm like, I don't necessarily want to say I was let down, but there's a lot of stuff that bothered me in this movie. Uh, number one, and first and foremost, I agree with Eric. Like, I do not like the fact that these like degenerate like evil people seem to get away with what they're doing. Like the hippies, the sailors, like all these people, like Aldo Ray. I mean, they're, these characters are despicable, horrible people. And none of them get their comeuppance. The only person that gets, you know, their comeuppance quote unquote is Andrew Prine. But like Joseph said, even at the end, when he's dying, he says, you know, like I will only wanted to help you. And I'm like, he's just, he's, he's a crazy person. He's not, killing them like um i mean in his mind he's killing them it's a good thing so i mean you know i i i was cheering at the end not so much because andrew prine i guess was you know getting his comeuppance but it was mostly because it was so refreshing in this film to finally see a character who's not going to lie down and just uh you know let herself be killed um you know, it, it's a big contrast from, you know, poor Jackie earlier in the movie, who I felt unbelievably sorry for. I mean, this is a woman who, you know, I mean, she was just being nice to a hitchhiker. And then she has to deal with all these like crazy, like hippies that take over her house and like humiliate her and, you know, try to rape her. And then she escapes only to end up nearly getting raped by somebody else. And I'm like, what the hell kind of universe is this taking place in? It's like everybody's a villain. There's like this is one of the only movies I've seen where there's probably an equal amount of good guys and villains, you know, in in the same like horror film, um, you know, because there's there's so many bad people in this movie. Like there's a ton of like bad people. Um, the second story uh, I liked because it was the most like a slasher. Um so, I mean, the second story was probably my favorite one just for that reason. Um, and I mean, ultimately, you know, I kind of uh, understand what, um, you know, Amanda was saying uh, because 
it's like for Andrew Prine's character, you know, he only sees these women as these centerfolds. But I mean, you see like Jackie, I mean, she's a nurse, like she's not just some, you know, like prostitute or something like that. You know, I mean, these are women that have lives outside of just this one magazine that they did a, a centerfold cover for. And um, I liked, you know, the fact that he thinks, you know, that he's figured these women out when he's completely off base about them. Um but I mean, I, I thought the acting was good. I, I you know, I, I like the centerfolds themselves. I just, um, you know, it's it's not a movie I think I could go back and watch because, um, you know, I mean, mean spirited really does fit, especially the first story. The first story is unbelievably mean spirited, and it's just it was really difficult for me to watch like all these horrible things happen to this one character, and then you know she just ends up dying. Although her death scene, I thought, was actually shot really well when, you know, he cut her throat and then the blood, like, splattered on the glass the way it did. I thought that uh, was well done. But I don't know. I just I, – I hated that because – and even in the third story, I mean, even though she does, you know, win in the end, I mean, another rape? I mean, they date rape her. They drug her, and then they date rape her. I'm like, this is it, – it's not fun for me to watch that kind of stuff. I don't find it – fun and I'm in this movie I'm not saying it was meant to be fun but it's just my preference when watching a movie is to watch a movie that's you know more you know campy or you know just I guess not quite as um you know I'm not gonna say serious but not quite as mean as this movie was but that's not to say I didn't like it because I mean there was a lot that I did enjoy about it so for me I mean I, I'm glad I watched it it was a good one time watch but I don't know that it's one that I would revisit so I mean you're completely right I mean Andrew Prine's character in a way he's he's delusional but he's he's got an excuse for you know basically taking what he sees as uh, women who are basically objectified and trying trying to cleanse them of these um I guess impurities in his own kind of warped way. Whereas these rapists are basically, Hey, how can I get my dick hard and get my, you know, get my rocks off and they just go unpunished. And it was just very unpleasant. And, you know, like Eric said that, or Nathan said it rather that first story, that girl gets humiliated so much before they, you know, ultimately try to rape her with that scene where they're just, they got her on the couch and they're just slathering makeup all over her. It's just so it was so stomach churning mm, to me. Yeah. I just, I lost, I, I was losing it. And I'm like, you know, I've seen this, you know, 20 years ago, I'm going to stick, I'm going to stick through it. Cause we're going to talk about it. But I was so tempted to just kind of like, kind of fast forward it a little bit. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's not fun at all. <laughs> not really. I think they should have added a scene at the end, especially for like me and Eric, where Tiffany Bowling's character gets in the vehicle to drive away and the hippies are hitchhiking and she runs them all over. <laughs> yeah, that would have been awesome. That, that, that would have been, yeah. that would have been a, Ran them a great over. ending, actually. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't know why, but she's compelled. But, you know, I mean, maybe if the film had been the second segment uh, elongated, it would have been better because the second segment's a lot more fun and has kind of a, you know, like the dialogue's really great. And I think it was in one of the TV spots or trailers you played where she's like, there's a four letter word for you. It's P I M P. And then later on, the other girl like, says to uh, Ray Danton's character, there is a four letter word for you, B O R E. And there's this really great sort of bitchy kind of catty fun to that part. 
Um, but yeah, the, the two bookended stories, I think there's just too much happening in there. That's like, at least the sex in the second segment was consensual. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and again, it was a girl in a position of power. She knew that she could kind of get what she wanted if she slept with him. And so it was, it was a consensual move on both of their parts, which makes it easier to stomach. But, um, I hadn't really thought about them getting away as such, uh, but it is true, like the really despicable characters, like the sailors are just gone. And even Enterprise, like, oh, they left. I heard them leave. You're never going to find them. So why bother? You know what I mean? Let's not even report this. And then Tiffany Bowling's like, hey, I need a ride. And it's like, you just got raped. And now you're going to get in a car with a stranger. And it was just, ugh, drove me nuts. That's all. Mm. I do like that middle segment, though, because it reminded me of things like Five Dolls for an August Moon or even something like The Slayer where the 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 isolated coastal setting um yeah it did feel most like a slasher movie and probably if that was the entire film then we probably would have liked it a bit more maybe i think i would have to be honest i just the the home invasion uh kind of subgenre and horror even though i know this predates a lot of them but i mean i've seen all those before i watched this one but um, the home invasion movies in general, I'm not the biggest fan of only because no. I feel like it's just watching people like go through awful, awful things. And, and in most of the home invasion movies, the bad guys win. Like that's, they what, I, that's what I hate about them. home invasion movies. Me yeah. too. It's, it's predictable that the bad guys will win. I'm not. And, and have you guys seen the preview for the new strangers movie, the strangers pray at night, the previews look really good, but I, and this isn't a spoiler cause I haven't seen it, but I'm already thinking to myself, I'm like, well, they'll probably just kill all this whole family and get away with it, just like they did, you know, in the other one. I mean, and to me, I, I don't know. I just I I feel like in and I've probably said this already, but just to reiterate it, I feel like in life we see so much like injustice and uh, people doing awful things and getting away with it. And it just thinks to me in a movie where it's sort of an escape from that. To, to see it there, too. I'm like, in a movie, no, I want to see, like, you know, the, the villains vanquished in the end. I mean, or I want to see somebody g- escape it. Something like that. And that's what I hate about home invasion movies is that, for the most part, people don't escape. I mean, it's it's when you watch it, you're just going to watch a family or just a group of people get, you know, tortured mentally and physically until they kill them and then the end. I'm like, well, I don't understand what's fun about that. That kind of segues into movies in general, what you just said, Nathan, because a lot of people, when they're talking about movies, they they diss on movies for the wrong reasons. Like they're like, oh, that would never happen in real life. Well, I'm like, you know, if I wanted to, you know, watch real life, I'd go outside or maybe even watch a documentary or something or, you know, 60 minutes or something like that. When I watch a movie, you know, I want to escape from reality. I don't care if it's not realistic and, you know, in reality sense, as long as it's, um, you know, as long as it's internally consistent, I'm not going to, you know, fault it for that. I mean, I have have done that a little bit. I have said, okay, now this is implausible, but you know, I don't, I don't fault, I don't fault a movie just for that. I, it, it it's, you know, like you were saying about all that. I, I just think you can kind of say that it's just about any movie where people just pick apart something, you know, for being unrealistic. If, which if is why, which, there. which is why we like Death Wish Three, three so much. Yes. Oh, yes. No, I so wait to watch it now. But, it's but so, I, it's I, so. Un- it's so unrealistic, but it has its own internal logic, which, you know, yeah. it doesn't cheat. So there you go. But I, I think, like, particularly that first, this first segment of Centerfold Girls is unrealistic. I can't imagine somebody would encounter that much misfortune in the space of a few hours where she encounters all these yes. unconnected people who are just evil and out to get her. 
Well, it was a bad I, day for sure. It was like it the was worst. Such, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could see the the hitchhiking and the 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 hippie like thing. I mean, I could see that. But then you know to run into like you know, Aldo Ray, who's, you know, just as bad and his wife who, you know, was not a nice person at all. Um, and, and then like she gets away from him or, you know, he's, you know, he, he says that awful line too, that like, he doesn't want oh. it unless she's going to fight. And I'm like, that's just awful. No. Um, yeah. He's, <laughs> he says something like, uh, it's not much fun if, if, if you're just going to submit that easily or something like that, which is very off putting. But, no, but before, you guys, just real quick, you guys Sorry. said that it was an almost rape, but I felt like he did rape her. Am I wrong in that? I didn't, I didn't think he did. I thought that he was just saying that, you know, he didn't go through with it because she wasn't fighting, so it wasn't okay. fun for him. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's what I thought. I was also going to say, um, this movie reminds me sort of a, a precursor to another movie we've covered. Now, I want to try to avoid spoilers as much as possible, but it, it reminds me a bit of... Um, uh, innocent prey, you know, whereas how much stuff can PJ souls go through with yes. these men? Although this one is more, you know, downbeat and uh, mean spirited. Whereas that one, they kind of, they kind of have fun with it in a, in a kind of lighthearted manner, sort of this one, they don't have fun with it, but yeah, I just wanted to kind of point out the parallels there with, uh, yeah, I want to know, point talk, talk, talking about realism, you know, with that first story of how many, you know, how many bad encounters can this girl go through? It really reminded me of innocent prey a little bit. And it reminded me of Gravity. Does anyone think of Gravity when they were watching this? <laughs> no? Yeah, it, I did. Yeah. <laughs> no. Because, uh, no, because uh, I just remember when I, when I watched Gravity, I watched Gravity with my brother in the cinema, and we both came out with thinking, God, how bad could that has was that day? Because she just keeps jumping from satellite to spaceship to space station, and every every time she encounters problems and things explode on her. And then she crash lands to Earth in a in a into a lake, and we think, oh God, it's probably going to be a, sh a shark now. Something's going to eat her. <laughs> so That'd be it's awesome. A, yeah, just a day of complete misfortune, which is what this poor unfortunate Jackie encounters. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, but that also reminds me of a thing we did on the forums about five or six, maybe about ten years ago. We, um, a lot of the members, I think Amanda may and Nathan may have even been part of this. We basically wrote this slasher movie script. Like oh, one yeah. person would write a would write mm -hmm. a paragraph, and then the next person would just kind of have to wing it and go off of there. And I, <laughs> I remember I wrote the ending of the, the story that we did. These kids on an airplane getting picked off one by one. I wrote the very end was um, David Malay, BTK. Uh, who's been on the show before? Uh, I basically wrote at the very end after going through all this stuff. He 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 you know he he parachutes out of the plane away from the killer and he lands in this cornfield, and then this uh, the guy who owns the cornfield basically shoots him with a shotgun. <laughs> so it's like how much stuff can he go? How much stuff can he go through? <laughs> Excellent. Well, BTK can't win. <laughs> no. Well, let's let's catch up on some background. And Nathan, as um as I stole your thunder, do you want to give us your extensive background? Uh, very much will, Justin. Okay, good. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Right. Well, uh, at the uh, credits, I was uh, when I was watching the movie, I was watching the credits, and it had Miss January credited as Charlie, and that's it. I was like, oh, maybe she's like Cher. So I looked, uh, looked it up, and actually she was a stripper. Yeah. Well, Cher is a stripper. That's right. Sorry, Cher. Sort of. <laughs> and, and if I could turn back time video, she's just wearing a pair of pants, really. That doesn't make you a stripper. Actors. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I, what am I doing with you guys? <laughs> wow, Eric's ver being very libelous today. Yes. He is. Let's hope Cher's not listening. But yeah. um, Nathan, what else apart from the revelation about Charlie? Well, I've got a few other things to share with you. Mm. Um, Francine York 
She's in the second Yay. story. Um, she didn't get along with Ray Danton during shooting. Uh, she revealed in a magazine interview that since her character wasn't supposed to get along with his character in the movie, it made the scenes in which the two argue and fight with each other that much easier to do. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got to say that um, with her character, when um, and we played that dialogue, uh, when she gets off the, the boat and she's arguing with the guy that was, uh, I guess, driving the boat, I thought that was hysterical. That was probably one of my favorite scenes in the it's movie. Best. Like, like he's saying kind of nice things like to help her out, but he's yelling about it. You know what I mean? <laughs> She's like, and she like just starts going off on him. <laughs> Have a good day. Like everything he says is like, he's really upset. Uh, let's see. Uh, a fire had broken out at the forest location in Topanga Canyon, California, that was used for the climax of the film. You probably could see that when you were watching Tiffany Bowling fighting Andrew Prine. Um, uh, Janet Wood, who plays Linda in the film, she's the the hitchhiker that has the hippie friends. Uh, she was also in Terror at Red Wolf Inn. She plays a model that ends up as dinner. So, Eric, if you want to see her get her comeuppance, I mean, she kind of does there. Yay. The old couple kill her and cook her in some stew. I think we see her foot later. Good. oh and uh tiffany bowling uh you know who played vera the final girl she uh was also a real estate agent victim in the 1987 slasher flick open house she got hung unfortunately she tells a guy uh you go ahead i'm just gonna hang around here and then when they find her later she's hanging Uh that was like very literal (laughs) i see what they were doing there (laughs) Uh, speaking of which, that Open was, House uh, is hilarious, by the way. That was it's so good. Was open, it's so good. That was Open House's joke of the week. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Open House is hilariously fun if anybody hasn't seen that one yet. So that's the background that I have. Excellent. Well, thank you, Nathan. Uh, Amanda, have you got anything for us? Yeah, I first I want to start, and I'm going to try to do this, and I'm not sure it's... Can you guys see your screen? Oh, I don't know how to do this. Let's see. I don't know if anybody here is uh, familiar with... No, um, no, don't do it. Do you know what Eric, I'm going to send? Eric, I'm sending it. No, Eric, I'm sending it. Well, Eric constantly uses his screen to flash his nudity, so... <laughs> oh, well, that's exactly what oh. I'm doing, and hopefully you guys got it. I don't oh, know I did. Oh, I wow. did. Yes. Oh, whoa. That was big. So, that's, so I, want to talk about, I want to talk about Andrew Prine's penis. First of all, <laughs> which okay, is just so... flashed up on our screen. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, okay. So Andrew Prine, um, uh, so in the seventies, uh, Playgirl became a thing and a lot of actors, uh, did Playboy, uh, Playgirl spreads and, um, spreads being the key word there. And you could either do a PG 13 layout or you could do a more explicit layout. And some actors like Christopher George, um, Don Stroud, and George Maharis chose to do the full frontal thing, whereas the first, I don't know if you guys know, but the first centerfold ever in Playgirl was Lyle Wagner from The Carol Burnett Show and Wonder Woman, and he doesn't show anything. It's very PG-13. Fabian did a very PG-13, and they're really cool. But there was an offshoot magazine that came out called Viva, and Viva featured Andrew Prine in a really interesting sort of layout with um, animals and women, and his penis is enormous. It's enormous, guys. And every time I talk about Andrew Prine with people that aren't that familiar with Andrew Prine, I always have to talk about that. And so my big piece of trivia for the week 
is that you should Google Andrew Pride nude and get a full view of what I'm talking about. Um, so when I'm talking about his pants in the evil, I'm really talking about his pants in the evil. Like, you know what I mean? Like I can't stop looking at that man's crotch, but he's, <laughs> and I've met him actually. I've, I actually have my copy of Grizzly signed by him. He's a really nice guy. He's still incredibly handsome. Um, I like him a lot as an actor, but anyway, that's my first piece of trivia for you. But the other stuff is not, <laughs> it's not quite Oh, Amanda, as... <laughs> how, how dare you objectify men that objectify. way? I know that's exactly why I've turned the tables. And it, we're going to body cut Andrew Prime because the picture that came up here, I can't even see his face. I, all I can see is the goods. Um, and let's just leave it that way for now. But um, the other trivia has, so Andrew Prime did work heavily in television. Um, and he had worked with the director, John Pizer, um, on several things. Uh, so it's interesting, on the um, featurette that's on the DVD, he says he worked with... Uh, with Pizer on three spaghetti westerns, but I couldn't find a record of that. But he did work on uh, with with Pizer right before he made the Centerfold Girls on a pilot that they shot in Spain, which is where Pizer was living at the time, called Heads and Tails, which was I think a comedy western. And he had done several episodes of a television show uh, that Pizer directed um, called Heads and Tails. Oh no, I'm sorry, it's called Wide Country. The pilot that never aired that he was shooting in Spain was called um, Heads and Tails. He did a uh, pi uh, he did a TV series in the 60s called Wide Country, which was about two brothers working on the rodeo circuit, and Pizer had directed several of those episodes. So they had a long history of working together. Um, and the co-writer of uh, Centerfold Girls was named Bob Pete, and he was also a uh, television uh, scriptwriter. And I think that they like to use television people in exploitation films because they're very efficient, because a lot of television has to be done very quickly. And I think that they could work under the kind of schedules and budgets that these sort of films needed directors and filmmakers to work under. Um, the movie was released in May of 1974. There's actually a surprising amount of documentation for this film. At the time, General Film Corp, who were either the producer or distributor, were a fairly successful indie company who had produced and released several B-movies that did really well in the theaters, including Bonnie's Kids, which starred Tiffany Bowling, The Candy Snatchers, which also starred Bowling, and Detroit 9000. Um, this movie was met with mixed reviews in um, the United States, and um, Kevin Thomas, who is a really noted critic for the LA Times, felt that it was um, pretty distasteful and just exploitation without sort of an end game to it. That's not the general consensus in other countries, though, and I'll get to that. Um, there's a magazine here that actually still exists. It was an industry magazine called Box Office Magazine, and it featured um, synopses of films and other information, which was actually intended to help theater managers understand the core audiences of whatever films they were going to screen at their theater. So uh, they used to have this thing called Exploit Tips, which is where they tell you how to um, kind of interesting displays you can put up and things like that for to promote your films. So for the Centerfold Girls, they actually suggested that theaters, quote, get newspaper clippings of local rapes and muggings and the like for topical lobby and street displays. And I'm kind of curious if anybody did that and what that was like going into a theater and seeing like a rape newspaper display, like local rapes. You know, I don't want to go see a movie and walk out and see all of the rapes that I might, you know what I mean? All the rapists living in my town. Like, I don't know that that would sell the movie to me. It's crazy, um, the, it's pardon crazy, me? It's crazy, isn't it? I mean, I know the exploitation manuals, they kind of, they did them for a lot of films of the 70s and 80s, and they were ways of, you know, like the happy birthday to me, like having a funeral display and things like that. But, <laughs> but to, to go to the extent of actually having real life rape newspaper clippings in a lobby is, is, you know, kind of madness, isn't it? And in this kind of, well, even back then, I would have thought people would have found it distasteful. 
Yeah, I, I was just like, that's not what I want to look at when I'm going to sit down for the movie. But um, And they offered the catch line for the Center for Girls was, quote, a, a, a male killer, oh, a mad killer, I'm sorry, a mad killer and his prey, the world's most beautiful girl. So that was, um, I don't know if that ever got used as a tagline for the film, but this was a tagline they suggested to promote the film. Um, in November in Los Angeles, it doubled with the candy snatcher somewhere um, and was reviewed as a double feature in the newspaper. Um, the film was actually really well received in England, which I thought was interesting because Justin gave it such a good uh, positive review in his um, on your website. And I kind of wondered if it was a cultural thing, but I think some of the critics here did like it. So I don't want to I don't want to discount the. I feel funny discounting it because I think it has merit. But at the same time, there's things about it that upset me. So. Um, London's Monthly Film Bulletin loved the film. They they said it was quote intel or they and said quote intelligently offers a serious and ultimately exaggerated study of debasement and destruction of its three heroines by a leering and spiteful society end quote and that it dove into the day to day minutia of the girls' lives as a way to show that debasement and how three professional women were diminished by their sexuality. Um, screen inter- so they were a little more on it, I think, than maybe Kevin Thomas and I might have been when we were watching it. Um, screen International, which was a UK publication, loved it as well and said, quote, a, mere jaund- a more jaundiced view of human nature would be difficult to find and that it was expertly directed. Um, and then, as Nate said, the first victim in the film who has no dialogue was a professional stripper. Um, Andrew Prine came up with the basic color scheme for his character, which was that he would always wear black, but he lived in a completely white um, room. And it was meant to be that the killer saw everything in black and white, and the only time he saw color was when he killed. And that's kind of really interesting because he does see the women as sort of black and white. They're in a centerfold, therefore they must be um, soiled or damaged, and that it's up to him to help them. So that's kind of an interesting characterization that he added to the film. And um, I think finally all I have is... um, So Francine York in an interview mentioned that the house that they used in the second segment was supposedly used in The Ghost of Mrs. Muir, but I wasn't sure if they meant the TV series or the original film. And she called it Gold Cottage, and I also wasn't sure if it was Gold Cottage in the movie or if it was the actual name of the house, so I tried to find it. I had a very difficult time. Um, I saw that it was located in Paradise Cove, which is near Malibu, but it may actually be something called the Neal House, which is located in Santa Barbara. But Paradise Cove, which is where they shot parts of this, um, has actually been used in several films and television shows, including The Rockford Files, Dr. Goldfoot and the Bikini Machine, Indecent Proposal, and Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, other locations included Topanga Canyon, Woodland Hills, and uh, Malibu proper. And Jamie Lynn Bauer's car in the film is actually a Chevrolet Chevelle Malibu sports coupe. And there's also an interesting um, soap opera tie. Like, I didn't look up all of the actors, but Jamie Lynn Bauer has been on Young and the Restless, and she was on Days of Our Lives until, I think, two years ago. And Francine York, I found out, had also been on Days of Our Lives, um, which is really interesting. And I think it's so of its time to... So actors in B-movies today don't seem to be able to work in different types of mediums anymore. It's like they just make B-movies. And back then, you could be Francine York and star in The Doll Squad, which is amazing if nobody's seen that, but Ted B. Michaels film. Um, but she could also be on soap operas and in big films and then in other things like Centerfold Girls. And you just don't see that sort of mix anymore with actors on their resumes. So I just thought it was worth noting that they had all of these actors seem to have pretty interesting careers in terms of the types of films that they made. Uh, Francine York and um, Jamie Lynn Bauer probably being the most emblematic of that. Um, and that's my trivia. Excellent. Well, thank you, Amanda. Uh, that's uh, very 
very insightful and lots of trivia there. So uh, that's brilliant. Thanks for putting all that work in. Um, uh, Joseph, how about you? Have you got anything for us? The only th- other thing I have, um, Nathan and Amanda have pretty much mentioned everything, but I, I, I don't re- recall them saying this. Uh, Andrew Prine um, was in one episode of Married with Children as Psycho Dad. Nathan might remember that. Yeah, Psycho Dad. When, uh, when Psycho Dad. Al- yeah, when Al Bundy was obsessed with that TV show, it was Andrew Prine playing Psycho Dad. Um, the only other thing I have, which is not trivia at all, but I, I get the feeling that uh, Eric might like might like Aldo Ray, and in one second you're going to see why, Eric. Okay, is, it, is, 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 is this a still from Haunted? No. Oh yeah. <laughs> I figured you might like Aldo yeah. Ray. Yeah. I figured you might, you know, you might. You know, you might you might put up a fight with him. I think I might have a little <laughs> wrestle. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. He's so fucking hard. It's just to, to quote Amanda. <laughs> well, you know what? I can't help it. I can't help it. There's <laughs> too many I. men. There's too many men. I know. I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Joseph. Anything? Anything else? Uh, no, that's, I mean, Amanda and Nathan's pretty much covered everything I had, so. Okay, well, hopefully Eric's composed himself. Um, so I have, yes. Have you got anything left for us? I do, yes. Um, it was filmed in December of 1973. The budget was $181,000, filmed on 16 mil uh, over the course of three weeks. Uh, shot in Los Angeles, and the beach scenes were shot at Paradise Cove. I think you mentioned that, Amanda. Um, as part of their research, the company uh, General Film Corp sent out a synopsis of what the film was going to be. This is before they shot the film. Uh, and an accompanying questionnaire to exhibitors and drive-in owners asking if they would show this film, uh, if they would be willing to show the film. And they got a very enthusiastic response back. So, that, well, naturally, drive-in owners were looking for nudity and sleaze at the time. Um Paula Shaw, who plays Mrs. Walker, who's the woman married to Aldo Ray, she went on to famously play Mrs. Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason. Um, and she's also oh my God, Sa- that's her? Yes, <laughs> it is. Wow. She's also in Savage Streets, and she's also in the 19, classic 1977 talking vagina movie Chatterbox, mm. uh, which I think is one of the greatest film titles ever. Um <laughs> Uh, Andrew Prine was also in Town That Dreaded Sundown, the original one, mm. uh, and he was in Amityville 2, The Possession, which is my favourite Amityville movie, and if not one of my favourite films of all time. Um, more recently, he was, uh, he's been relegated to working with Rob Zombie in The Lords of Salem. Um, uh, Aldo Ray uh, went on to be in Human Experiments, Haunted, where he gets his kit off completely, if you're interested in seeing him with his kit off. Uh, Psychic Killer and Don't Go Near the Park. Francine Moore. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wow. Did you say he, he gets his kid off? He gets his kit off. <laughs> oh. He gets his kit off. Oh, yeah, my that's God. A okay. that's a Speak different... more eloquently, Eric. Yeah, that's a, it might have been the 1970s, Eric, but still. Yeah. <laughs> no, he gets his kit off. Yes. K-I-T. Yikes. His clothes. <laughs> Is it really full? Ray, uh, Ray Danton. Um, uh, I'm sorry. What's the actor's name? Alder Ray, he did full frontal? Not full frontal, no, just just chest and back. Oh, okay. That's not as exciting. No, no. But, you know, slim pickings. Um, you take what you can get. That's what exactly, I Exactly, yeah. Uh, Francine York uh, went on to play Marilyn Monroe in Marilyn Alive, Marilyn Alive and Behind Bars. And that this, uh, <laughs> this film was uh, partially shot in the early 80s and then she came on to play Marilyn Monroe and it was completed in the early 90s. But the early... Uh, 
the portion made in the early 80s was under the title Scream Your Head Off, and it went on to be part of Night Train to Terror. Um, uh, she also appeared in the web series Where the Bears Are, which is a, a web series of m- much interest to me. Um, and that's about all I have that hasn't already been said. So, okay. Justin, over to you. Well, thank you, Eric. I haven't got... There's not much left. Uh, slim pickings, indeed. Um, one other uh, kind of slasher movie um, connection is uh, Janice Blythe, who played the oh, roommate yeah. in the, the last segment with Tiffany Bolling's roommate. Uh, she was in Driving Massacre, The Hills Have Eyes and Spine, the which is another kind of fairly misogynistic slash movie, if I remember correctly. Um, seeing if there's anything else that hasn't been covered. Um, sorry. Well, this I couldn't find a release for this for the UK, um, so I'm assuming it was never issued over here. Well, it, it might. Have, well, it's, it's the men said it got reviews, so it may have got some kind of cinema release. I, d- I don't. I don't know. But um, mm. the only other thing I couldn't is, see any. Well, I couldn't mm. see anything on the BBFC okay. website. So. Okay. Might, I wonder if it was put out as a, under a different title, but. Um, but uh, the uh, the only other thing, just ending on a, yet another James Franco um, connection, is that uh, Janet Wood, played Linda, um, the kind of evil first tippy, um, is still acting, and she's in a, a film called Mississippi Requiem with James Franco this year. So uh, that's all the background I've got that hasn't already been covered. So uh, thank you, everyone. What um, do we want to do in after the scenes? Well, after yes. Well, before, yes, before I have do, one. Yeah. I have one too. Okay. Before we do that, I just want to ask Eric: Do you have a joke of the week? I do have a joke of the week. Oh, joke okay. Of the week. Let's do that. Let's do that after the credits. Then I just want to make sure you had one. Okay. So here we go. All right. After these credits. Vera obviously killed, you know, Andrew Prine. He he is dead as a doornail. So, you know, she gets in her car and drives a little way. And then she sees like a group of hippies standing on the side of the road <laughs> uh, with their thumbs sticking out, led by Janet Wood's character, Linda. And as she gets uh, closer, she realizes that uh, they just don't look like good people. So she mows them down. Um, runs over them, and then she backs up and runs over them again, and then she puts the car back in drive and runs over them a third time, and all all of the hippies are dead now. Okay, then she drives a little further, and then there's Aldo Ray and his wife. <laughs> Their car's broken down, so she tosses some gasoline out the window in a match and blows them up. And lastly, two sailors um, are up ahead about to walk into a bar. So, you know, she just gets out of the vehicle with that trusty knife of hers and runs up and stabs both of those guys to death. And then there we go. Perfect capper to the film. Well, hmm. thank you, Nathan. Yes, I think we've, yeah. uh, I think you've, you've validated, well, you've kind of, um, what's the word for it? You've uh, uh, satisfied your kind of, you know, you've ended your misgivings, Ex- haven't you? Exercised his demons. Yeah. Exactly. That's yeah. what I'm stretching for. So, thank you, Nathan. Um, Amanda, what would you what would you see as an after the credit sequence? 
Well, what I would like to see is so in the third segment when Tiffany Bowling kind of goes into hiding when she finds out that guy is that there's somebody that might be trying to kill her. Um, you know, Andrew Prank calls her house and that girl picks up the phone and, and Tiffany Bowling is very specific. Don't tell anybody where I am unless it's my job and I, I have to go out and, you know, fly somewhere because she's a stewardess. So Andrew Prank calls and the and the roommate picks up the phone and he, he's like, where's Vera? And, oh, she's not here and I can't tell you where she is. Well, this is um her mom's um doctor. And she's um, really sick, so I need to know where Vera is. Oh yeah, she's at this hotel. I like, love you know, that. Like, yeah. <laughs> and then, and then Tiffany Woolen calls the house, and she's out there like swimming, and she's like kind of posing while she's swimming, like she's looking at the camera with all her makeup on, but her hair's wet, and it's like. So what I want to see. As Tiffany Bowling gets in the car after she's killed Andrew Prine, and she's like, "Wow, well, that was so fucked up. How did he know where I was? Oh, hey, my roommate." So she goes back home, and she slits that girl's throat. <laughs> drinks her blood and eats her brains. Blimey. That'd be quite an ending. That would be <laughs> That's what she deserves it. <laughs> she does. <laughs> well, thank you, Amanda. Eric, what about you? Okay, well, my, my thinking was very much along the same lines as Nathan's, as you can imagine. But I was going for the sequel is a supernatural one where Jackie comes back from the grave um in a grudge kind of way. So she has like the black hair in front of her face and everything. And she croaks because her throat was slit and she haunts the obnoxious hippies and kills them all in horrible ways. Yay. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. What about you, Joseph? <laughs> Joseph? Joseph? Oh, jo oh, my turn. Um, I think Andrew Prine's character, um, I think he survived after she left and he changed his name to Jay Giles and formed the Jay Giles band because he looked a lot like Jay Giles. And then he wrote the song Centerfold. What a song. And uh, yeah, because um, it, I don't know if anyone else is a fan. I'm not really a fan of Jay Giles band. I just know their songs, but I find a lot of his lyrics to be very misogynistic. So that would kind of, you know, fit in with the Centerfold girls because he looks like him and there's a song called Centerfold. So there you go. Oh, we should actually end the show on that song. Yeah, Justin, it's a classic song from the 80s. Well, maybe yeah. I do have something in mind. Actually, that would be a good one to end is it, on, actually. Is it a Susie song? But it was actually. Yes, I was, was going to say. Wow. So much. So, 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 much so much for it being <laughs> Nathan's pick. Gosh. I'm the one yeah, who spends like, I'm hours. I'm the shaft on this whole episode. Well, I'm the one who spends hours <laughs> editing this. Well, hey. Uh, what was. He, li he likes things up his alley. He's getting the shaft. <laughs> I meant the shaft in a G-rated way. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well. Okay. Well. Thank you. So, is it my go? Final. Yeah. I would turn. say, um, in a less G-rated way, that Tiffany Bolling um, cuts off Andrew Prine's penis and uses a scarf. Um, because as we see from the photo, it's, <laughs> it's good. Yeah. But um, and then she goes on. She goes. She's slightly unhinged by this whole experience. Because one of the things I forgot to mention actually in the. Uh, um, uh, the kind of trivia was that apparently she hated being in this film and all these films and yes. her scream, her primal scream at the end of when she's killed Andrew Prine is is she saying uh, she was screaming for her because of her shitty career in her her, her own <laughs> words um, and her you know anger at being um, just not being able to get any work apart from exploitation movies so but she did the other things she did go on to do if we I don't know if you've ever seen this but if you haven't if you search Tiffany Bolling on YouTube um, she has become an ultra patriot um, yep. who has um, recorded some very um, 
eye-opening videos on on uh, and songs on YouTube because when she was when Wicked Wicked came out, she had an album that came out. I think it's just called Tiffany Bonning, which is apparently is a real collector's item, which didn't take off because Wicked Wicked wasn't a very wasn't very successful at the box office. Um, but um, yeah, she's kind of I I would say. She doesn't come across in the best way in her videos, um, sort of ultra right wing, patriotic kind of um, uh, sort of thing. So, um, so, uh, but uh, yes, so that's. Um, but I would say she cuts off his penis and wears it as a scarf. Would be my end of credits. That's the warmest scarf you could have. <laughs> it would be. Yeah, and the longest. Yeah, Andrew. By, by those Andrew Prine and I are kind of twins in that way. <laughs> I knew Joe was going to say that. I, somewhere in the back of my mind, I just knew that was going to happen. I don't know why. Yeah. The, that picture you sent finally popped up on uh, my screen. So, Jesus. it was like looking in a mirror, wasn't it, Joe? <laughs> yeah, from the waist down, at least. I oh my God! I don't. I don't. Wait, I don't you really have my have phone t- number, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't really have that Jay Giles kind of face, though. Unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> he is super. I have to admit, Andrew Prine is like ridiculously handsome, and he's still really good looking, and he's extremely charming. Like every time he's come to speak at the in LA, he speaks at the New Beverly. Sometimes he always has something interesting and fun to say, and he's very receptive of his fans and these films. I think he's. I think he's just a, a great actor all around. Actually, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. Well, should we do? Um, should we? Because I, I noticed the time we're up to two hours uh, so far. So we get, it's getting. It's quite a long one. Um, mm. Another thing for the end of the show, but um, I, I just because I'm mindful of the people's house I'm borrowed are going to be back in not too distant future, so um, I don't want to rush things along. But I think possibly time for this. What serial killer guarantees to slaughter you within 24 hours? Andrew Prime. <laughs> oh, that's oh, that, good. That was a good one. That actually. is a brilliant, brilliant joke, actually, yes. uh, Eric. I don't get it. Oh, like Amazon, Amazon, Prime. Amazon Prime. But that's two day shipping. Oh, it's one day over well, here. Have, oh, yeah, have... over here it's two day. That's why I didn't get it. Okay. That's why. That's the only reason why I didn't get it. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, it was two day. It's two day shipping. It's supposed to be guaranteed within two days. Well, you can uh, select a one day. I think it might cost a little extra, but they do have it here as well. Yeah, but typically Prime is two day shipping. Well, that's, that's all my job America does. Is such we, a big country. We do. It was Amazon a very Prime clever, very clever play on words there, Eric. Thank you. Excellent. If you can keep up this momentum for the rest of the year, you know, <laughs> I could. Oh. Yeah, I could be writing like for for Letterman. No, Letterman's not on anymore, is he? He's going to be on Netflix. He's got a new talk show coming out. Well, whoever Netflix. the big talk show, Conan O'Brien, whoever the big talk show host is over there, I'm going to be writing scripts for them soon. I can predict it. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Eric. Um, should we do some feedback from the um, from the forums? There wasn't a massive amount, was there, on this film? But, um, Joseph, do you just want to? A, yeah. Yeah, just a couple here on, from Facebook. Uh, Jeremy Ball says, this one's worth recommending for what an oddity it really is. Sexploitation, home invasion, and slasher all rolled up in an anthology. It spins a lot of plates in the air, and they rarely drop. The pacing is quick, and it never bores me. That said, it'll never be a personal favorite. It's just a little too mean-spirited for me to revisit often, although the ending makes up for that somewhat. Regardless of my own iffy feelings, I have to admit it's a must-see for fans of 70s exploitation. Uh, Ralph... uh, Boy, I'm going to hate pronouncing this last name because uh, just, okay. It says Ralph 
as in puke, but it looks like ass in puke. Sorry, Ralph. How, how to win friends says, and influence people, Joseph. Yes. <laughs> okay, let's just say Ralph. We'll call him Crazy Ralph. Crazy Ralph says, I'll watch pretty much anything with Andrew Prine. Very underrated actor. Mike Alishan, who chose this, says, yes, yes, oh, hell yes. And finally, our good friend Simon Logan. That's Simon Logan says, had never seen this before, so caught up, caught up with it on caught up on it via YouTube and was very happy to have done so. As Jeremy Ball noted, it's a bit of a mashup between home invasion, sexploitation, and slasher and has a strong last house on the left feel for me. At times it was it was almost like an anthology movie with each centerfold story separate from the one which preceded it. Trashy and sleazy all around, a great way to ring in the new year. And that's all I have. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone, for writing in. And this is how to get in contact with the show. The content of this podcast was provided by Justin Kurzweil, Eric Frillfall, Nathan Johnson, and Joseph Henson. If you enjoy our program and are willing and able to provide a donation, please visit us on Patreon and become a content-designated subscriber. That's patreon.com forward slash the hysteria continues. For non-subscriber PayPal donations and general feedback, our address is the.hysteria.continues at gmail.com. To listen and interact, simply search for The Hysteria Continues on iTunes, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Susie versus Toya forever. Joseph, I'm going to need you to change that. Because, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be starting to go by my stage name. From now on, I'm going to be known as Nathan Debo Marche. <laughs> so you say oh, it's I provided like it. by Justin Kurzweil, Eric Threlfall, Joseph Henson, and Nathan Debo Marche. <laughs> it's an insult to your, to your family and to your God, but okay. Okay, and some feedback. You've got some feedback, haven't you, Nathan? Yes, I've got a long one here. It says... Just like Andrew Prine. (laughs) Oh, yes. It's a scarf. (laughs) Um, I just had to drop a line and let you wonderful directors of debauchery know... Oh, God, I love that word. Debauchery. I'm sorry. I'm... All right, all right. Back to the feedback. All right. Let you wonderful directors of debauchery know how much I love you and your fantastic podcast... I'm only on episode 22, but I have been listening at work pretty much every chance I get. Right from the start of discovering your podcast, I felt like I was amongst friends. Everyone on the show is extremely knowledgeable regarding slashers. But if that was all, I don't think the show would be as special. I think what excels the podcast is the chemistry between everyone that was evident from the beginning. I also love the humor as well as the good-natured heckling of one another. I was also wanting to say that if listeners like what they hear, they should definitely become Patreons. I took the plunge without hesitation, and now I can hear your thoughts on a guilty pleasure of mine, sorority babes and the slimeball bolarama. Don't judge. And deviating from the fa- thing here, I won't judge you uh, because that's an awesome movie. All right. That's, so uh, Justin, Justin, what was the name of that movie again? Yeah, Justin. Uh, do you know it? <laughs> Sorority uh, bowls and the bay bow bow blah blah It's going to be a clack 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 classic. <laughs> All right. So he goes on to say, "I won't take up too much of your time, but like any good slasher, I probably will be back with another long-winded email." Thanks for all that you do. Your show brings me tremendous joy. I've discovered some real gems thanks to your wise decision to cover lots of obscure films. Bravo. A fan for life, Travis Davis. Thank you, Travis. And you've got great taste in movies, by the way. (laughs) I I might judge Travis a little. 
Because <laughs> no, I'm kind of on the fence. It's an awesome it. film. It's very good. Excellent. Well, thank you, Travis. I've got one here from Aussie Andy. It says, "Good day, guys. Uh, just listen to the Don't Open Till Christmas." And as it as it um, as the sorry as the ep was released on my forty seventh birthday. Yes, I'm an old fart. Actually, it's not that old. Um, Andy, I'm older mm. than that. I choose mm. to think um, um, of this as a gift from you all to me. <laughs> I remember watching this movie and enjoying it back in the day at the age of 16. And it and it was overshadowed uh, by Silent Night, Deadly Night, as you said. This got me thinking, what is your favourite Christmas horror movie? For me, it's a hard one. Uh, wait for the charge of giggling to stop at the mention of hard things, <laughs> Eric. Uh, there is this one, Silent Night, Deadly Night, as well as the more recent Santa Slay, which to me has one of the best openings to a movie I can think of. Happy Christmas and a very, very Merry New Year to you all um, from Aussie Andy. Uh, well, thank you, Andy. Um, I'm trying to think. I did see, I saw uh, all through the house um, before Christmas as well. I think that was on Amazon Prime, um, which is another Santa slasher movie, which is okay. It's quite gory, but um, has anyone else seen that one? Yeah. yeah you I mean, and all, and all through the house? Well, yeah, all, and all through the house. I can't yeah. Yeah, I, I thought it was. I thought it had some really great dark humor, if I recall correctly. But I don't remember if I actually enjoyed it or not overall. But yeah, I remember. Okay, although well, that one, and um, I'm trying to think. Well, obviously, Black Christmas is, of course, the the granddaddy of the uh, Christmas horror movies. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them. I watched Krampus again before Christmas, the the one from the last couple of years ago, which is okay. I like it and well enough, but I'm not entirely sold on it. What do you guys think? Oh, yeah, I, I love say- it. Mm. It's okay. Yeah, it's I don't remember uh, if I've seen it or not. Actually, I have rewatched it so many times just because I love it that much. Not really a uh, not really a slasher, but obviously I really loved uh, Better Watch Out. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good one. That's the one I that love... was Perfect Neighborhood, right? With Patrick Warburton. Yeah, it was. It was also yeah. called that. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. so good. I saw that at Monster Fest when I was in Australia, and I loved it. I like To All a Good Night. Yeah. No, that's, so good. That's so good. good. Yeah. And Christmas yeah, Eve joined, always yeah. fun. Sorry? No, Sorry? I was just saying Amanda joined us for that episode of Twilight Good Night last year. That's right, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did. We watched it this year too, but I only watched half of it. We kind of are obsessed with that Australian girl that lives <laughs> at the house and like you know, whatever her name is, the house mother, caretaker, whatever you want to call her at the house, she makes stew, you know? And then the Australian girl is like, Could you bring me my Chanel? And it's like, yeah, I have to have Chanel while I eat stew. It's like, I like to have that mixture about me. You know, the stew smell mixed with my Chanel number five. I think you mentioned that when we recorded. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I I briefly recall, I vaguely recall something like that. But I was going to say, when you guessed it on that episode, I remember, I think Eric won that quiz, but he did not win the last quiz. Oh, shut up. He was bested by Justin big time. Yeah, I know. He was um, was destroyed. I'm crowned a crowned leader at the moment. Yes, I. Yeah, because you're, you're crowned like a queen. Because you're a queen. Oh, Eric, like, stupid <laughs> screaming queen. <laughs> well, okay. Well, um, thank you for writing in, and you know how to do that. And say, as we mentioned, the Patreon pick for next time um, is going to be Exorcist Two, which is Eric's pick. Yeah. You want to tell everybody what what Nathan's next pick is going to be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, if, if you want to do that. Well, I think we're going to um we're going to go whatever no what what have you done to Solange is That's this, yeah. That's it. Um so we're going back to the Jallo uh for our next pick. Um and I'll let Nathan go first if I remember. 
<laughs> you won't remember. I won't. Well, you can remind me, can't you? I won't remember. You won't remember either, no. Well, Justin, you, I not, partake in certain vices that's going to make me not remember. Oh, that's good. Well, that's, that's useful. <laughs> yeah. He's more along the lines. He's one of those in-the-moment rhubarb ladies. I'm very in-the-moment. Yeah. And, and actually, I was kind of glad you did it because it gave me a chance to, like, you know, be all rhubarb Well, no, that's good. And so now you've got your Ooh, new... I'm the rhubarb I like that. <laughs> you've got your new name, haven't you? It's a Nathan, Nathan B. Day Delu. <laughs> No, it's the Beaumont. B-Day Deloo. B-Day That's me. <laughs> I was going to say, Nathan is a Rue Barbie girl living in a Rue Barbie world. Yeah, I am. He's fantastic. I definitely Big, am. Made of plastic. <laughs> well, thank you. Well, let's also thank to Amanda for joining us. Thank you, Amanda. It's always a pleasure. Yay. Um, if people are And Amanda, sure people... I, I accept your challenge, Amanda. I'm going to try my best. Oh, I hope you can make it, and Nate too. Is this Amanda? Is this to penises? I just want to say what? that you all, you always raise the level of the podcast every time you're on. Aww, oh, I'm a joke of the week. Yeah, <laughs> you you I'm did something similar. You did something similar with Michael Ferrari, and that's just wrong, Eric. What did I say to him? You called you you made a joke about his last name, Ferrari, the car, something like yeah. that. It's just awful. Well, Amanda, he, if he if drives people... us all crazy. Oh goodness, <laughs> Amanda, if people want to find out more about you, which I'm sure they will do, what can they? What are you up to, and where can they find out more of what you do? I guess the best way to find me is I'm on Twitter at Made for TV Mayhem, and that's kind of where I post all my stuff. Like I don't blog as much as I used to, but you can find if I have new posts. I'm going to be doing a Melrose Place post, so that will be there. And also, like, um, I have a chapter in a new book that came out called Yuletide Terror, Christmas Horror on Film and Television, and I post uh, articles about that and promotions for that um, on my Twitter as well. But I wanted to mention real quick, oh, and I have a podcast called The Made for TV Mayhem Show, which you can find on mm-hmm. iTunes. But I wanted to mention real quick that one of your uh, past guests, Gore Blimey, has a really great podcast called Trilogy of Terror, which Eric's been on. Yep. And um, he invited me on, and we did a two-part retrospective on Ghost Story for Christmas, which is, you know, the British anthology. I guess it's an anthology. They would show uh, one a year in the 70s. And we did the first six um, uh, for Christmas. And they're currently on iTunes. And it was really fun. And um, I'm not sure how I came across because I'm not that familiar with Ghost Story. But uh, Gore Blimey always keeps things interesting and fun and lighthearted. And, and rude. Yeah. And rude. He's super rude, super which is rude. part of the reasons why I love him. But anyway, if you're still wanting to keep the Christmas spirit going, I think you should check those out. It was a lot of fun for me to record with him. And that's it. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, everyone who's been listening. Thank you. And if you're not a Patreon listener, we're getting up to, we're getting close to the drunk cast, the Demons 1 and 2 drunk cast. I think there's only 15 more uh, people to join in the party. So if you do fancy throwing a few shekels our way, and you may have, we, we, I don't know if we spoke on air about this, I don't think we did, but there were some kind of strange changes at Patreon, which they've reversed. Um, which would have cost uh, Patreon uh, sort of, uh, donation donators a little bit more money, but they've reversed that decision. So it's back to how it was. So, um, you know, if you'd like to support the show, then we'd very much appreciate it. So, uh, and uh, yes, we head off to, well, London via Rome uh, and back to, well, back to the 70s yet again with the fabulous Fabio Testi uh, next week. Um, mm-hmm. um, he certainly has Fabio Testis. Yes. I bet he does. He's oh, gorgeous. So 
Well, they, it's, it's, Eric, that was your joke of the week. You've, you can't reuse that. I've ruined uh, it. I've ruined, you've ruined it. it. Um, <laughs> that would have been a good joke, Eric. Yeah. Yes. You you blew your wad too early, Eric. Yeah. I did. So, um, I yeah, hear so, that's a problem for you a lot, actually. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> well, thank you for joining us, and thank you ever so much again to Amanda, um, and we'll see you next time. So say goodbye to the good people. Bye, y'all. Bye. Good boy. Bye. Skip to the moon, my darling. We're just, we're just finished. Why don't you wait? Don't you want? Eric, don't be back. rude to, to Justin on his episode. <laughs> <laughs> I was secretly, I'm not going to lie, you guys, when Justin started reading the plot synopsis, I thought... Okay, because I was ready to read it myself, but then he started it, and I thought, I hope he picks me last, because if he picks me last, I can have a little fit. So long. So long, just like a true crime. That's all I can think about now. I, that's what I do whenever we did a Simon King of the Witches podcast for this podcast I do called Podcast Mania. And that's all I talked about was his penis for like 20 minutes. <laughs> Mine was just stupid. It was going to be who makes the best salt water, Andrew Brine. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs>